we're back. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in to episode five of the Overachievers podcast. I'm your host, Martin Amini, here with my partner in crime. Hey, how's it going? It's DJ Bo. How y'all doing? Uh, first off, thank you guys for buying tickets to our next show, June 14th. Just so you guys know, we are down to our last 20 tickets. Um, hey, man, shit's crazy. Like, I, I can't thank you guys enough. It's our season finale. We just added a Paris Sachet. Uh, for those who don't know, Paris Sachet, uh, one of my favorite comics. She's killing it in New York right now. She's on her way back to D.C. for the show. So I'm excited about that. Um, also, side note, I was, uh, I was checking out the the Podbean analytics. Yeah, and we how's, have a, how's it looking? Uh, yeah, we have an unusual amount of listeners in Texas. Oh. I don't know who these gun-loving <laughs> sons of bitches are, but I love you, dog. Shout out to Texas. And uh, if, you, yo, if you're from Texas... Let me know what city, because I would love to come to Texas for a show, man. Might Dallas, be my, Houston? Might be my cousins in Houston. You got, how many, do you have 150 cousins in I Houston? Like, no, I got like four cousins in okay. Houston. Okay. All right. Well, Houston's dope. Have you been to Dallas yet? I've never been to Dallas. I've only been to Houston and Texas, oh, in Austin. Austin is tight. I like the, uh, I like the Dallas improv. They have, a, they have, a, it's like, it's an Addison technically, hmm. but uh, it's like a really dope, I would love to do, I think the idea of doing Texas would be cool. You you haven't done like a uh, South by to do like comedy shows at South by right? Yeah, no, I haven't done that. But I, I just think like doing our own like overachiever show. True, true. That'd true. be sick. That'd be sick. Um, yeah, no, it's man. I just want to say appreciate all the uh, good feedback we've been getting. I I walked into uh I was at Big Hunt last Wednesday and I walked in, and this uh random dude in the khaki pants came up to me. He's like, "Hey, bro, hey, Martin, I really like your podcast." <laughs> and I was like, "What?" He listened. He's like, "Dude." first two episodes were great yeah. he listened to he and i was like he, he just loved the uh the whole thing and i was like nice, that's nice. hey man shout out to white khaki pants guy you know what i mean <laughs> i appreciate i didn't know that's my demographic but <laughs> shout out to everyone listening in their cubicles at the starbucks you know what i mean in london uh shout out to chris milner uh yeah now nah, we've been getting great feedback appreciate that man you know and uh i'm excited about today man we uh we got a great guest, you know what I mean? We got a, the OG, triple OG dun, dun, dun. in the DC comedy scene, you know what I mean? The silent assassin. Dun, dun, dun. You know, uh, he's open for uh, Mitch Hedberg, Dave Chappelle, Greg Giraldo. He is the co host of the Three Guys On podcast that has accumulated over a half a million downloads. Jeez. He's played a major role helping young comics here in the DC comedy scene. Uh, I, I attribute. His Saturday room at the Arlington Draft House Green Room uh, as one of like the staples of the scene. Now it's currently been moved to the DC Draft House, uh, and it's helped. He's to this day, man, helping all these young comics develop in DC, including myself. So I'm glad he's here. We about to turn up. Give it up for Andy Woo! Klein. This, this is as turned up as I get. I, I don't want to let anyone down, but this is it. <laughs> uh, you said silent assassin. I actually thought I should just I should stay silent. I should just not say anything. He's like, yo, he's killing. <laughs> this is the most moving podcast episode ever. Yo, he don't even say nothing. So brooding over there. Nah, but like you, you know, you've you've done the show. Uh, we've had you yeah. on Overachievers. Yeah, the uh, last one was incredible. Yeah, the one uh, the May tenth, May tenth, Tony Woods, Tony Woods. We uh, talked about that ev- uh, that show a couple. He put of times. on a clinic. <laughs> it was one of those times where you're like, oh, right, there's another level of comedy that mm, that yeah. exists, yeah, right. And like, I was just talking to Bo about this in the car on the way here. We're talking about like you are in that very uh, a small group of comics who've been who you've been doing. You're a veteran in the game, but you could 
you could do a show like Overachievers and stay on beat with every like you don't not only do you stay on with the energy you you take it up a notch yeah like I can't I can count on the number like the number of times like yo man yo watch this next comic yo he was the man <laughs> at Wiseacres <laughs> in '98 and I like I like pop in. And, uh, <laughs> and I'll be like one minute in, I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. I, uh, yeah. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. People start to, uh, you can see it. People get complacent. Mm. There's people that, um, that I've known in common, like I, I don't know them, know them, but I've just crossed paths with them for like 20 plus years, right? Damn. And I'll see them like every two years, and they're kind of, kind of a shell of their former selves. They stopped writing, they, you know. They're doing the same old jokes from the mid '90s or whatever, yeah. And it's like, well, what what are you getting out of this? Like, why are you even coming here? You're just you're, you did this bit. This first of all wasn't a great bit, yeah. But you did it way better <laughs> back in '98, and now you're still doing it. Yeah. They got complacent. It, it sounds in. like it sounds like they got complacent, whereas yeah. like, you just kept writing. Yeah, and exactly. You stay, and you stay like uh, on top of your game. Who'd you follow on the May 10th show? Do you remember? Um, I followed. It was Haywood then me. Then you. And then yeah. you did the, our January show. Yeah, and I think you followed Jamel on that one. Did I follow? Yeah, I let's see who was on that show. Dominic did a guest spot. Dominic, and then it was Jamel Johnson in town from L.A. That must have been me then. After that, yeah. And then, uh, and then it was Dylan, and then it was like no, it was yeah, it was Mia. Where, yeah, it was on that show. And it was like yeah. Russ it was, was on that show too. Russ, Mia yeah. Jackson. Yeah. I just yeah. remember. I just remember like uh, when it, like like our audience predominantly is like younger cool like too cool for school you know what i mean <laughs> and i always see when i always i always like i'm always excited to see andy go up because i always feel like the audience sleeps on andy like they're like all right what's this guy going to talk about yeah. like and then the like he just like sl- yeah. like it's just every time man he just like he just like opens up the arsenal and he just drops he, dro- he just drops <laughs> by- yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's been my thing from the beginning Ever, like no one ever unassuming yeah exactly no one ever thinks i'm gonna be funny yeah. yeah and like even like off like outside of stand-up like in jobs that i've worked no one ever like anytime anyone's ever found out that i'm a comic they're like what you really and then they just <laughs> youtube you and you're like holy shit right i'm like yeah i got some clips on you can go check them out and then they'll, they'll come back the next day oh wow you can do comedy well but <laughs> but i've always been like i've, I've always yeah. been quiet i've always been kind of shy and unassuming and also not flashy, like you know, you mentioned Dylan. I never, I never wear. I don't have any bright colored clothes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have anything that's like look at me. You you're, yeah, your gear is an, definitely an extension of. Uh, yeah. yeah, which probably hurt me in comedy, but because uh, I didn't have a, a identifiable character. But yeah. I, I just you know even like like now I wear I always wear shirts with like like band names on them and stuff. I went through a phase of like ten years of like I don't want any logos on any shirts. Mm-hmm. Plain. I don't want anything taking away like from the, the Louis, jokes. the Louis C.K. route. Yeah, and, and it was like it was it was like an probably to a fault, like like a purity. Like I just want to go up and make it only about the jokes. I don't want to have anything distracting from the jokes. Yeah. So like I didn't want to have anything too um, flashy. I mean, it, plus it, it's not my personality. Yeah, but it's also like a testament to where you're at now. I think you could definitely see the results of all those years of like staying true to the jokes. Right. Because you're still hanging with like, bro, these are high energy shows and you're going in and like right. killing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's also, that's part of the experience. And once you've done that a bunch How of times. How many vets are really out? Like, you, uh, you speak uh, who, on like. Who's in your class? We were like, because like, like we're like talking about Tony, you know, is an <laughs> anomaly. Yeah. Like you don't see a lot of people. 
And God knows, I don't even know Tony's age. I got to get Tony on here. Tony's like I, a savant, man. He's got like just a gift. It's right, but, but yeah, exactly. But he's an exception, and like and I put you in that category of like vets who can still like hang, like 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 yeah. Because a lot of times you're either working or you kind of phase out. Right. Right. You know what I mean? You get disillusioned. It'll it'll just make you sort of just not want to do it for after a while. Like if you don't hit the level of success you thought you were going to hit or if you just get burned out, right. you know, if you're on the road too much. I've seen it happen. I've seen people just get stale and they f- they're not doing it for any reason. Like a lot of people just do it because they just want a couple hundred bucks and yeah. they don't want to go back to work in a day job or whatever and their heart's not in it. And for me, I've always sort of Wanted to still make the back of the room laugh, which is the comics. That's the comic, yeah. And because that was, I was like a back of the room guy at the beginning. Uh huh. So, you, in order to do that, you have to stay sharp. You can't just go up with the same old jokes from five years ago. Like right. the back of the room is going to stop listening. So, I'm always in my mind, the group, I, like I have two start dates in comedy. Like 94, I did it for a little while. 98, I got back How into it. How old were you in 94? I was 19 when I started. Got it. Um, and in 98 was when I kind of really started, like when I started trying more. Got it. But that group of comics in 98, like to this day, I feel like I'm trying to make them laugh. Mm. You know what I mean? Like that was, it was, and the people who are still around now from that group, Rob Mayer, mm. uh, Mike Stork is, is around. Chad Heft lives in Boise, but he does comedy out there. Uh, a few people quit comedy. Like we had a core group of like nine of us, like yeah. our own little Wu-Tang Clan. And uh, nice. we had like, we not a lot of shows to do, but... Anytime there wasn't a show, which was most nights, yeah. we just hung out. We just got together and hung out. And, like, just let's just riff on jokes, man. You know, and and those people are still in the back of my mind. I'm like, they're going to be impressed by this joke. They might not even hear it. You yeah. know, but but it, I still, like, sort of want to impress people. I still have that thing of, like, hey, look how good I am, guys. Look how, look how clever that line was. Look how smart that joke was. So you was. think that's what drives you to keep going to mics? Because yeah. I've... You, on any given night, I'll be at a mic, and then in walks in Andy Klein, <laughs> hanging, yeah, just like showing up, up late. Yeah, it's just like nine thirty. Like, hey, you got any uh, stage time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it'll be like eight people in the crowd, right? And like he doesn't, yo, he doesn't care. And these are like rooms that like nobody really wants to do unless you're just like that's all you can get. Yeah. Like, but and like, but those are the rooms that keeps you cooking. Like, you need to hit the yeah the sad mics. Yeah, because when you don't. Like you could you you can easily just there's so many reasons to stay home. Oh, mm-hmm. so many. Oh, there's why? A million reasons to stay home. Why subject yourself to that hard, <laughs> like that emotional hurt? And then when you stay home, you get complacent. You're yeah. like, oh, this oh, is yeah. cool. Like, oh, man, I can run errands. I can go to the store and get some groceries. Like stuff that I normally uh, you'd come home from your day job or wherever, and then you'd have to like turn right around, and go back out to do right. comedy. You start to stay home. You're like, oh, this is pretty nice. I'm gonna do more of this, and then you start phasing out, and for me, I know that can happen because I'm I'm a guy who defaults to complacency. Right. Yeah. Like my default setting is I can be sort of happy and satisfied in most situations. I don't have a lot of like angst pushing me. Right. So I have to just like remind myself, oh right, this you got to go do comedy. Yeah. And then also just thinking of jokes. I still think of jokes. Like I know there are people who so again people who've been doing it a long time who kind of stop writing, and I. I've never had that. I've had droughts. You know, everyone has droughts where it's like, I haven't written anything good in like three months. You know, we've all had those moments. But yeah. people sometimes stop writing, and I've never had that. I have this thing where I'm like, it's probably all comics have this, where it's like, my thoughts are important, 
and people need to hear them. Like <laughs> everyone has that thing of like, I need to say these things to a, an audience. And I still have that like little ego about myself. Mm. Like I should, I, people need to hear what I got to say. Yeah. My you know? take on. Yeah. yeah. And then we also doing a podcast cause we've been doing our podcast three guys on for eight years. That also, and you'll, you'll find this out too. Cause you're like five episodes yep. in, but talking for an hour or two, and having just funny things spill out while you're talking, you'll be like, "Oh, that's a joke. That's a bit." And you'll like, you'll it'll revitalize writing, you know. So I do two podcasts a week, and things I just say on the podcast off the top of my head. I'm like, you know, at the end of the podcast, I'm like, "I'm gonna t- I'm gonna do that on stage tonight. That's funny. Like that's a joke." Yeah. But had I not done the podcast that day, I wouldn't have that wouldn't have happened. It's a good exercise, you know. Yeah. So it's a lot of that. It's just like keeping your keeping the momentum going. Yeah. When you lose that momentum. Get complacent. And you've been around, like, you've seen so many different cycles throughout. It's like 20, you're going on, it's 20 years now. Yep. 20 years. As my second start date is 20 years. We're almost exactly 20 years on that. When you start taking it seriously. Yeah. I get it. I can see how you could just fuck around for, I got into it a little bit later. So as soon as I got it, I'm actually coming up on my sixth year. Yeah. June 17th. First time I went up, 2012, June 17th at RFD. Oh really? Shout out to RFD, <laughs> District Comedy, Ralph Cooper. Yeah. Did you go on at the end? Did you go on last? Yeah, I kind of. Yeah, I went on towards the end. I kind of hustled. I got to be honest. I hustled my way on stage by saying, um, "I'm in town from LA," which was true. Yeah. I had just moved from LA, <laughs> but they were under the assumption that I had done it before. Oh, uh, this guy. Right. Because I was because the way they explained it to me, like, "Yo, you got to email," and you got to. I was like, "Nah, nah, 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 nah." I'm not yeah, yeah, that. yeah. I, like, I, I need to go on. T- I brought two friends. I need yeah. to go on tonight. Yeah. And uh, it, I, I, I was wearing the $600 Prada vest. And um, I, I'll never forget. I had two friends with me, and uh, I made fun. Perth went before me. Okay. Perth, for the, who those uh, remember who don't know, he like he's like an alt comic. He doesn't. I don't know if he's even still around, but he used to wear these like c- outfits and costumes. Do you remember oh, him? Shit, and, I don't and he remember. used to like do like yeah. these songs oh, wow. and does like all <laughs> these characters. And he was just going Jesus. up and just doing like a Pokemon song for like ten people. And it was just, and then I remember just going on stage after and just like making fun of him. And yeah. it did. I was doing well. And then, uh, and then I just remember just like just all confidence, no jokes. And it was like the best. <laughs> it was the best. It was the best uh, five minutes I've had. Like I just remember having the most fun. Yeah. I'm like oh, this is oh, uh, this is I gotta do this. This is what I gotta do. And then bombing yeah. for like two months straight. I was like that. I was no confidence, all jokes. I was the opposite. But there was a, it was funny because when you said in town from L.A., there were, my first. When I first started comedy in '94, there was a guy who tried that. He and I'll tell you the name off air, but he <laughs> um, there was like the, it was the Comedy Cafe, which doesn't exist anymore in DC, fifteen twenty K Street. And oh, that was a yeah, that was a uh, Tony Woods talks about that. Yeah, really yeah, I never saw Tony. I think he'd already moved by the time I started. But it was a three story building. The first floor was a strip club, still there, mm. called Archibald's. Middle floor was a bar called Fanatics Sports Bar, mm-hmm. and the third floor was the Comedy Cafe. Now the middle floor and the third floor are a Fast Eddie's. Word. The strip club is still there, and there was like a there was like a really strict rule: the comics were not allowed to mention the strip club. Not even positive. You couldn't even say, "Man, those strippers are hot." Like I guess <laughs> someone messed that up. We're like a some... different entity. <laughs> right. We don't identify with our downstairs establishment. Yeah, don't just act like it doesn't exist. Don't mention the strip club. But there was a comic, uh, open mic night. The room was kind of like, um, 
long. Like in front of the stage, it was only about 10, 15 feet, but it was pretty far on the left and right. So right. on one side of the room is where all the open micers kind of sat. And then the way that open mic ran was there were two booked, they called them pro spots, 10-minute spots, and they paid those guys a little bit of money. Got it. So that's how they advertise the show. Like, yeah, it's open mic night. We're going to see a couple pros. The MC mm-hmm. is going to be a pro. And um, the pros would always sit on the other side of the room. Like, like it wasn't required, but that's right. just they were like, yeah, open mic was what's up. And they would just walk past us and go sit on the other side of the room. So this one dude, <laughs> this this guy comes in and signs up, you know, whatever. And he's like, I'm a pro. I'm a pro. I'm a pro. And he goes and sits on the pro side. So we're like, oh, he must be a pro. Like, yeah. you know, what, you can't just go sit over there. <laughs> and he goes up and he's bombs hard like and clearly is an amateur like he's clearly yeah. like never done this before yeah so i'm like i'm just remember thinking like why would you you're gonna get found out immediately this is the moment you, you step on stage but that was his way of getting on stage was yeah. like oh yeah I can, i'm a pro i'm an old pro i'm just in town i'm just passing through town yep still works baby yeah still works <laughs> it still works still works got me on stage skip the line Woo! <laughs> i just i just flew in yeah, no, this. it was good enough where like Brad Ryan came up to us like, we're opening up a new room in Silver Spring called Fire Station 1. You should come to that. And I was like, yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> How long are you in town? <laughs> yeah, Forever. Exactly. Forever. <laughs> uh, that's what's up, man. For uh, when I, Yeah, so when I started, I was like, RFD was the first time. And then six months later, I, uh, I found out about the Arlington Draft House Green Room Show, which was on Saturdays. Yeah. And to, uh, to preface this whole what's going on. So right now in 2018 in D.C., there are now four comedy clubs, uh, anywhere between 20 to 30 shows a week, just at different various venues. Yeah. Um, I don't ever remember it being like this many shows ever. Yeah. Uh, this is by far the most. I don't know if it's we want to consider this like a golden era because I don't know how long it's going to last. But just to give people an idea, because a lot of people listening have been to my shows over Cheers at the Draft House. That's just one club that was... Uh, like added to what they already had in Arlington. Right. So they opened up this new branch uh, a couple years back. And um, so, yeah, in order to understand it, why, how how we got to this point where there's so many shows right now in D.C., I want to go back to w- six years back when I started. There was only one good show, <laughs> which was Saturdays at the Arlington Draft House Green Room, which was like a 70-seater. And, and like, maybe, but maybe. There, you know what? There would be some standing room nights. Standing room nights where right? we were probably breaking some kind of fire code violation uh, regulation. So we and, would get like 70, yeah. 80 people. Andy sometimes. Klein would run it with uh, his co-host uh, Randolph Terrence and Tim Miller. Yeah, uh, three guys on, and uh, they w- it, it was it was it was called an open mic, but in reality, it was a showcase. That's where every DC comic went to uh, basically just be seen and like trying to break in and. Uh, and get opportunities to host in the main room of the Arlington. Yeah. Uh, which had like which has like headliners coming through like Bobby Lee. From out of town. Yeah, from out of town. <laughs> yeah, out of town people. Just flew in. Yeah. And uh <laughs> 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 and then uh and so yeah, that was uh, six months in and uh I remember not being able to get on it took me three weeks just to get on stage. Like I would get bum- <laughs> I got bumped three times and just being so, because when you're starting out, you're just you just have no idea how to. No one's talking to you. Everyone's super intense. And I remember, yo, 2012, those lineups were 
were were were awesome. It was a, it was it was the best place to watch comedy. It was I, I got to see uh, Courtney Farrington, Tyler Richardson, um, Jamel was on the block. Yeah, uh, Gabe Zucker, you Tim, um, Sarah Armour was uh, getting on stage at that time. Randy Syfax. It, it was it was a fun. And Brandon Wardell was in the mix right yeah. before he left. Yeah. So it was a, it was a really exciting time to just watch and just like learn DC comedy. And um, Sean Joyce. Sean Joyce was in the mix. Yeah, that's yeah. Sean was uh, a couple years in at that point, I believe, and just trying to break. He was just trying to. Break, he was just another comic, another white comic, just trying to break <laughs> in. Yo, Sean would like. I'm gonna have Sean on this in a, soon, but Sean used to come to Brass Monkey to get stage time. One of my rooms. Oh, okay. With uh, with DJ Bo, Crazy. and he was yo. He would just pop in. And um, he was a very well dressed white guy. He like kind of stood out because he had, he like still is. He uh, yeah, he like coordinated and stuff. A lot of comics didn't coordinate back then. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, he was just a well. He was and he was chilling. He wasn't like he. I always got him and Ryan shut confused. I I was confused. Really? Yeah, only because it's like Sean wasn't like both Ryan and Sean at the time. Uh, again, this is like 2012, so they were. They didn't really find their. It was like they were interchangeable, in my opinion. As like when I'm like putting a lineup, I'm like, oh, who's Sean? Who's Ryan? Shut. And I would get him. And then I was like trying. To, I would get them confused. Yeah, yeah. I've had there's. And they've now they have totally different paths. Now <laughs> right, see Ryan right. Shut and Sean Joyce. Sometimes people have similar names too, and you're like, which 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 one is that? There was it was there was three white guys who I wouldn't like, but now like thinking about it, I was like, how can you confuse Dre Daly, Sean Joyce, and Ryan Shut? <laughs> but in 2012, <laughs> it was a real issue I had when I made the lineups. Right. But uh, yeah, Arlington Draft House Green Room. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, every everyone, it was like, yo. People there's, from the main room would come over. The headliner from the main room would come over and do a yeah. set. So there's 18 spots. Yeah, usually so they, about they, that. Yeah, yeah, there's 18 spots, 50 comedians showing up <laughs> to get these 18 spots. Meaning I'm not going to get a spot uh, because it, it, is, it was pretty much reserved for people who've been doing it for a little bit. People were funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what was your, like, how did you, and Andy, so they fostered this, like, room, got to a point where it's the hottest room in town. It's one of two or three good rooms right if that right and so that was okay so we started that room in march of 08 mm -hmm. i had just moved back from new york i'd lived in new york for four years i'd been back for about a month at that point so they originally went to um rob Mayer. there was a thursday show also that ramin ran before ramin at the very very beginning there was this guy named bird knight who ran thursday okay Bird lived in Baltimore. It was too far. He ultimately couldn't do it. It was too far away from where he lived. Mm. Uh, he looked kind of like Larry Bird. Bird Knight was his name. So nice. he was a comic <laughs> from Baltimore, funny dude, and he was running this Thursday, and then they they wanted it like a Saturday open mic, and they went to Rob because they knew yeah. Rob a little bit, and Rob brought me and Randolph in and said, hey, let's the three of us run this because the three of us had just taken over the Wiseacres open mic um, in Tyson's, so which is like what was my home club before I moved to New York. So, oh, we're, all, we're running this one. Let's run this one. Then Rob lived in Maryland, moved to Maryland. He was kind of far away. So yeah. then it became just kind of more me and Randolph running the Saturday open mic. And it was like eight people in the crowd, six people in the crowd. Mm. Eight comics would show up in the early days. There was a show in Alexandria called Laughing Lizard. The bar was called Laughing Lizard. They had a Saturday late mic, so people would just like go there first and come to our show. But it was a real small operation. Yeah. And then it just kept getting better. Like, right. we tried our best to make sure the show was always good. Yeah. And I wrote a list down of people that have come through there yeah. that I think. So, 
this list I wrote, it's like basically everyone who's done a late night spot on like on TV <laughs> right. or have been on like who who have done stand up on television yeah. since the green room has been here. I don't correct me if I'm wrong. This is just like going off Seton Smith, yep. Aparna Nanchola, Jermaine Fowler, yep. Hampton Yunt, yep. Andy Haynes, mm-hmm. Nick Turner, mm-hmm. Randy Syfax, Brennan Wardell, yeah. Jason Weems, Roy Scoville, Ryan Connor, Sarah Armour, David Twighty, Kason Wilson. Yeah. Tim Miller recently on uh, Laugh Tracks. Yeah. And I think that's that's the list I got. These are all comic DC comedians who've gone on, who pretty much have passed through the green room. Yeah. And have gone on to go on TV. And a lot of these guys have careers in comedy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's like, I don't know, 15, 16. So that's like, that's just an alumni list of people. Um, I wish I still had, I used to keep the li- the physical piece of paper and I'd st- you would throw them away eventually. Yeah. I wish I still had those, just to have like these lists with like Seton and then Hampton and yeah. The, I didn't even Jamel. Jamel's been on. Com- he was on comedy. Yeah. Jamel and Lafayette. What am I? What am I? Yeah, Jamel Lafayette. Jamel Lafayette. Ryan and Rory had moved before we started that room, but when they came back to town, they would. Pa- they would. I think I don't know if Rory ever went up. He popped in just to hang out a few times. I remember being in the lobby with him. Like, you, want, you sure you don't want to go up, man? Yeah. I he might have gone up once, but he was around. Ryan always would come back. And like say, hey, can I come through to the spot? The first time I did the green room, Ryan was uh, the headliner. It was a Thursday. Oh, okay. thir- it was a Thursday on Ramin's show. Yeah, hustled my way onto that one too. <laughs> in town from LA, I just flew in. Just Comedy, flew in. you know, you know, and uh, just flew in from Silver Spring, Maryland. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Randolph was the host because I think Ramin was out of town. Yeah, and that's how I met Randolph. Well, the way because so Randolph and I started, he started around '99 or so. I started '98, but he was in Texas. But we both had the same start comedy experience, which was, how, here's how you structure a show. Here's how the list should look for open mic. And right. it's like pretty good comics in the beginning who can go early, have a good personality outgoing. Starting around the fourth or fifth slot, the block, which is all your best comics, all in a row. And then, so like the like a few B comics, let's say, all your A comics, then a few more, the rest of your B comics. And then... Whatever spots are left, go to like the new new, new guys, comics, yeah. yeah, or the veterans who are just kind of just give them a shot to get on stage. Yeah, but we both had come up in that environment separately, and so when we were running Wiseacres open mic, we were doing that, and the Wiseacres became the feeder system for Arlington because we would see somebody, some new guy who was good at Wiseacres like Lafayette, yeah, and we'd be like, hey, we also run this other show. We would like pull them aside so right. all the other comics wouldn't come. We would just right. cherry pick the best ones. Say, come to our new room in Arlington on Saturday, and we started running that one the same way. Like the best comics got on, and then if you're new, you get on at the end. You eventually work your way up to like that good, like fifth spot kind right. of deal. And so, which Lafayette still has to this day at Big Hunt. He's always yeah. fourth or fifth. Yeah, like that's to the prime day. spot. That's the best spot at open mic, fourth or fifth. Yeah. Like it's always the best one. Third. I always have to follow Lafayette now, which is like <laughs> not fun, but now it's cool. It's right. cool. And but it was like so we it kind of became competitive. We didn't set out to make like a competitive room, but we were like, okay, we have to make the show good. Mm-hmm. This is the best way the show can go for open mic. Right. A lot of rooms make this mistake of, oh, oh, okay, you're a good comic. I'm gonna put you on twentieth. I'm gonna put you on at the end. You're gonna headline the open mic. It's like no one's gonna be left. <laughs> There's no crowd at that yeah. point. Yeah, yeah. And you put them on in the middle. The crowd leaves, and then the new guys go up. So once we start getting too many comics. Like the crowd started swelling, it started getting packed, and like, and then it got to be like, it would be packed like by eleven, ten thirty show. Then it would be, it would be packed at ten thirty, 
but the crowd would be kind of drunk and rowdy still. And then it became like packed at 10.05 and they were there for the show. And we were like, well, we want these people to come back. We can't just just put on any old order of comics. Yeah. Um, the first open mic I ever did at Comedy Cafe was literally draw names out of a hat. Any order, mm, you know. Sure. And those con- those open mics don't last. So all these comics would then be like in competition with one another. And I, I would hear later how people would be like intimidated, like I can't do new shit at the at the green room. I gotta I gotta do well. I gotta. Well, kill. it, it did feel like that for when I started at least, because it was just like you wanted to get on yeah. a, and then you wanted to keep getting on because yeah. you know you you know the feeling of at least for <laughs> me, getting in my car and driving <laughs> fifty minutes to Arlington and not getting on for three weeks in a row. Right. I will never forget that feeling. Yeah. I to this day sometimes have that in me still. Like I still have that. Like I yeah. don't. You know, uh, which is kind of good in an, un- in, in an unhealthy way of just like making sure you always bring your A game and not like uh, losing your spot. But uh, yeah, how many times have we seen you know people regress or like not or like develop poor habits right. not writing right. or not or feeling like they got it or like they're the funniest person in the room and it's like nah, dog, you gotta keep writing because there's twenty other guys who are trying to take your spot. And also, you had to, you had to struggle with that too, right? Writing. Yeah, dog. It took me two, three years to even be in the rotation of the like. It wasn't until like year three where I was like a, a regular in the green room, but I would come every week and watch. Yeah. That's what like the under thing people don't even. And you weren't annoying. Watch. You were not annoying about it, which helps yeah. because as, when you're booking a show, and, and I, know, but I was angry on the inside. Yeah. I was definitely fuming, yeah. but I understood <laughs> the 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 system, which you can clearly see. Which is like if it doesn't take. Any genius to understand, you look at this lineup and you see who's going up. You're like, fuck, these guys are fucking good. Tyler yeah. was killing back then, man. Yeah. Still very funny. But like back in, like, you would just something about the green room days, man. Just seeing Jamel. Jamel would destroy. Destroy. In that room. Yeah. And so, as a, someone who's just starting out, you see, this is what you see. You're like, oh, okay, I got to get on that level. And then that's when you go into the smaller mics, in, like uh, on U Street, like at Touchdown. And you're like, all right, I gotta, I gotta work on my bits. <laughs> so when I go on Saturday, I don't, I want to, I want to, yeah. like you said earlier, I want to impress Jamel. I want right. to like impress Chris Milner. You know, right. I want to impress. I want to be their friends. So I don't want to come with my hack jokes. <laughs> and like, honestly, this is the one of the things I wanted to talk to you about because like that's how the culture of DC was created. Like on some good writing, good jokes. Because there was like this whole vibe of like, bro, if you're not funny, man, we don't, you know. We're gonna walk right past you, and it's gonna and that's like and it's kind of like there's this, like this weird understanding of like yeah I get it like yeah yeah you're in the you know I'm not I'm not yeah. on that but it's like it's at the time it sucked I'm not yeah. gonna act like I it was like but I didn't I just like fuck it I'm gonna get funny I'm gonna get funny and that was like all I wanted to do was just get funny and I would go to the green room and watch and also that's the thing if you we would kind of take note mentally of this like some people would get bumped and then just like do that charlie brown walk and leave and like head down just walk away and like go home other people would watch the show and i always felt like sitting in the back and watching a show like that is going to help you as a comic 1000 percent. why why are you leaving 1000 percent. because that's know? how you learn yeah you, you and you you know what you're up against you because that was one thing and this is um this is something a, a quality that i don't possess as much but randolph is very good about this about calling people out. You ain't shit, it's like now. <laughs> well, what happened is, because people would come up to us like, quit comedy. People would come up to you us like, like, feelings hurt. Like, uh, hey man, like I've been bumped like like three times in a row, and 
and then like I, I feel like I should get on because we would try to help. If you got bumped a couple times, we'd try to guarantee you a spot. Right. And then it got too many comics, we couldn't do it. But people would be like, they would be sort of trying to tell us that they're good enough to get on the, the list. And we made the list. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know, you know where the story's going. And so Randolph, where I would just say, come back next week, man. We'll try to help you out. Randolph would be like, come here, come here. He would pull out the list and be like, <laughs> okay, look at the list. Here's who's on the show. Who are you funnier than? Yep. Go ahead and say it. Like he would make you say it. <laughs> Instead of like your passive-aggressive yeah, open yeah. micro bullshit, he'd be like, point to a name. Who are you funnier than? And you yeah. know what? When you point to someone, I want you to go over the, to them and say, I'm bumping you because I think I'm funnier than you. Yeah. And they would immediately shrink. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, sorry. I'm going to walk away. This, Hell yeah. But, but, that, very, but that was yeah. how we, that, and that was. a very honest moment. But see, that was the energy. That was the energy of when we started, man. Yeah. Randolph ran that place like a fucking prison, man. It was like, <laughs> ma- nah, it was, it was a prison. Like, he would like, he's like, yo, you can't sit on, stand on the wall. He, you get yelled at. First off, can we address the fact that Randolph has chilled out a lot? Well, but he, that, but that was all part of, we're trying to build this room. Right. And no, no, I'm not even. quality I'm, control. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no, no. One, I, I. I'm better for it, but I'm addressing the fact. But that was the culture. As I'm saying, like now he's chill. Like that's what I'm saying. The the reason I'm even bringing all of this stuff up yeah. about how it was back in the day is to uh, to 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 let people know like why it is the way it is now. Like yeah. at Big Hunt, it, all that energy of that's how. So like you were saying how that's how you learned yeah. comedy. That's how a lineup is made. So like you know when I'm at Big Hunt and I there was like a couple years back I remember I would see like there was like this uh, time period where people would like just put up bricks just not do well and just be so nonchalant about it yeah. and I would be like what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Like this room's gonna die. Like this, that's... N- yeah, it's like, bro, this is a packed room, and you're like, your friends are, you're getting high fives for like doing a pat on the back for like, <laughs> for putting up a brick, bro. If you were at the draft house in the green room from like 2012 to 2014, and you put up a brick, you everyone made you feel it. Yeah, no one, there was no one patting you on the back. It was like, <laughs> nah, dog. There's ten people I want to take your spot right now, bro. There was like, it was, uh, that was the energy. That was the energy, and like that's what I still have. That like, yo, if you put up a brick, yo, people would kind of put their head down and walk right past. It, like, ooh, that was pretty rough. Well, there's a thing about like we've talked about this, but a lot of comics will say, you know, you got to learn how to bomb, got to learn how, to, which right. is true. You got to right, learn right, how right, to right, right, gracefully right. bomb, and or even how to dig out of the hole you just built. You know, mm. uh, but what a lot of people don't seem to pay much attention to is you got to learn how to kill. Killing is something you can learn. Meaning, like people who kill, don't. Sometimes they just kill and they get off stage and they're like, "Oh, that was that was good," right? And they don't necessarily assess why that worked, yeah. so they can't duplicate it. And learning to kill on command, which is like Saturday night, you're going up sixth. You can do a new thing in the middle if you want, but you got to learn how to like present it, right? How to, how to have the right energy and how to <clears throat> Close kill roll. for four or five minutes yep. on command, because when you're Working at the improv, you're featuring at the improv, and the host is killing, and he's about to introduce it. You gotta be like, okay, I gotta get in my kill energy. Like, yeah. But you gotta, you, but you know what that is because you've practiced that. Right. And a lot of comics, when they do well, I feel like they don't take stock of that. They don't think, how can I duplicate that? They just think, oh, that one was good, and then the next one maybe not so good, and the next one that one was better. Yeah. yeah. And the draft house was about learning that part of comedy which a lot of people they try to learn all these other things but they don't think i gotta yeah, learn how man. to just go up i mean that's that and just guns blazing kill it you know if you're new man go to the draft house on saturdays and get 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 coached up by yeah because back in the day man if you didn't do good yo you felt that shit yeah no one patted you on the back it was like ooh, ooh. you know what it is 
there was a there's a when when my group would get off stage, my generation, kids today, but my generation, we get off stage. You could you could have a great set, and all my friends in the back who I was trying to make laugh, I'm getting off stage like euphoric, like oh, I just killed that shit, and they would tell me about the one thing that didn't work. Mm. They'd be like, that was a great set, but that one joke, that line doesn't work. Say yeah. it like this. That could have been a legendary set. Yeah. And then there was kind of a shift at some point where the opposite started happening, where people would not do well, but they would get off stage and all their friends would be like, that one thing worked. Yeah. And they would walk away going, oh, I had a good time. I had a good night. And yeah. and that was kind of the, the diff. That's we, we tried to bring that other thing back of like, no, every you try to make everything hit. You got to be like great. Right. You know, because if you do move to New York, guess what? Louis C.K. might walk into your open mic one night and go up before you. I, mean, I saw that happen. Right. You know, or you might just get on a show somewhere and some yeah. great comic is on right or before you. Or you have to follow Kason or Lafayette. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Bro, I could tell you numerous times I had to follow Kason and just like a wave. It felt like I was like hit by a wave yeah. and I had to go up next. And, yeah. just, and I would bomb. Yeah. One time in particular in the green room on a Saturday, just he, he came with this his hot five and I tried to do some like some shit that I wasn't sure about and it just I felt it and then it w- those are n- you will n- there are certain moments you will never forget that'll just be cemented in your brain right or at least I would hope that it's like that for other people Chris Rock has a story like that in the early mid 90s the Martin Lawrence one? Martin Lawrence yeah. blew him off stage blew him off stage and he was like I gotta get better at this I gotta get better at this. Yeah. <laughs> you know and then bring the pain comes out yeah Tony Woods has a story from 88 that I'll let him tell when he comes on here, but it was a lineup of Tony Woods, Bernie Mac, hmm. and Chris Rock was closing it. Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah. And I think it was like someone else, like Robin Harris, but it was like, and this is like in Chicago. And uh, he's like, all, he, all, all I'll say is like, Tony was like, man, how you going? You got, when you come to Chicago, you you perform for gangsters. You can't come with that soft shit. <laughs> and that's all I'm going to say. So I'm going to let that, I'm going I'm I'm to put a footnote on that note. And then so when Tony right, comes right. on, we'll, we'll bring that up. But, um, yeah, man, that was just, you know, since I had you here, I just wanted to kind of explain, like, the vibes of what it was like back in the... And, yo, honestly, that's not even saying. Shit is dope right now. There is, for the first time, I think, ever, an opportunity to not have to move to L.A. or New York. I, I didn't think that was even a possibility because, uh, you know, I was telling you I was coming up on... I'm coming up on six years in a week. Yeah, yeah. And everyone told me, six years, you got to move to New York or L.A. Yep. That was the number, six years. That's what I heard, too. And so... You know, all these people telling me that. I'm like, I had it marked on my calendar. Six years, time to go. <laughs> DJ Bo, it's time to pack up. We got to hit L.A. or New York. And we're planning on L.A. And then um, we said this before in the episodes, you know, we started the Overachievers a year ago. Well, we basically rebranded what we were already doing. We had the Silver City Comedy Show, rebranded it, Overachievers. And shit took off. Shit's been popping. We're selling out shows. And um, we're like, damn, what the fuck? This shit, we're selling out in our own hometown. <laughs> we, we, I, I, on a on a regular basis, I see headliners who can't even sell out. Right. So I'm like, all right, well, you know, maybe there's something to this. And then we got the podcast going, and now it's like I see my homies with podcasts, basically making bread off the podcast and selling out their own shows. And I'm like, yo, maybe we don't have to move. Maybe we could just like build up the base here in DC, be on some like. Um, What's his name? Um, the dude from Texas. Uh, he just had that Comedy Central special in jail. Ali, Sa- Ali Sadiq. What was it? Ali? Was it Ali Sadiq? The dude. Sadiqi. Sadiq. Yeah. No. I'm. I'm not too sure who that is. We'll Google it later and uh, feel stupid. Yeah. No, his name is. is uh, uh, he. He just. He just dropped a special in Comedy Central uh, that took place in a jail. Okay. But he, he lives in Texas, 
and you know he tours the country. He just did a weekend at the Improv. Okay. Hannibal Burris lives in Chicago right now. The point I'm making is there's like there's more and more people just staying in their hometown. Yeah, and right. traveling like like bands do. Right. You know, you can just be from Atlanta and you're an Atlanta band. Right. But yeah. it, you know. Yo, like I don't I don't ever remember when I started people local people selling out shows. like you know what I mean like they're like you can build up your own thing and yeah. uh, and find a way to make money like this is probably the first year I'm living off comedy. Yeah. Got the college agent, you know what I mean? Yeah. Got the, you know, got the private gigs, you know, that I complain about all the time, but <laughs> yo, like tomorrow Andy and I were actually performing for a wedding anniversary. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, it's uh it'll be a fun time, I think. I'm hosting, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Do you guys know the um the couple? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah. it's like uh they're within the the realm of comedy, but you know, gotcha. we don't wanna, okay. but you know, it's a private event, so yeah, we keep their names under wraps, but uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. okay. but Andy's on it, you know what I mean? So it's like we're, we're getting these like opportunities to, uh, you know, DC is just there's there's opportunities to to, to make you, this comedy money. Huh? Yeah, right. if you can crack it, yeah. which I think is good for people to have a a, a goal, because people are just like really just getting into it, they just winging yeah. it. They don't really have a. They're like, yeah, I'm gonna get on TV and <laughs> just woo. <laughs> that guy's on TV. I should be on TV. Yeah, man. So what are the goals, guys? Like what, what, what yeah, Andy, what, Andy. How come how come three guys on doesn't have live shows? We have been talking about that lately. We've we've always talked about it because you got the Patreon. It. You got to check out yeah. the three guys on Patreon. Yeah, we got support we got, that. We got uh, content behind the paywall that you can only get behind the paywall. Um, and then live shows we've thought about. We've talked about it. We were going to do it in the green room a couple times. We never did. We were kind of we get lazy about that. But we've talked to the draft house about doing one. We're going to do one soon. Uh, the, as far as the date goes. We haven't picked one yet, but I'm thinking maybe, maybe late summer, early fall. Just yeah, so we can, I know. mean that's something that like no, I mean with the with the following you have, and then and also the the thing about the live show is what the format's going to be, because right. you can literally just do sit around and talk, do like a podcast where, where you're yeah. playing to an audience, or be a hybrid. You can do like what Mark Marin would do, which is have comics come out and do stand up, and then do like panel. Yeah, that would be cool. Now the stand up part, comics yeah. would have to be willing to put their bits on recording and have it put out as a podcast which some comics right. might you know but people put but this it's stuff still, on YouTube. but it's still not even like and that even goes into like the argument of like specials like yeah how many people are going to listen to it yeah it's a fraction of people well yeah and also just in this day and age i mean with you know with three albums just came out that are all seven songs or less mm -hmm. it's like you can release stuff in small batches if yeah. you want i you think know? it's better now yeah, like attention spans are real short. They're short, and people like my next my next album might just be a, like an EP. I might just put out a twenty five minute set. I don't know. That'd be you know? dope. You know, I just, think that's the way. That's a perfect length of an album. Because yeah. if you're somewhat topical, like I am, sometimes you wait two years, some of those jokes are stale. Stale. You yeah. know, it's like they're just gonna go away now. Oh, they're dropping fifteen minute Netflix specials. Well, right. You don't need an hour. Wow. Right. <laughs> an hour. Yeah. You yeah. don't need an hour anymore. Yeah, it's nice, and it's a it's definitely an experience. If you can take a crowd with you for an hour, that's something to behold. Yeah. But as far as the consumer listening in their car or whatever, you know. Yeah. Speaking of specials. Yeah. Two thousand one, killing me softly, Dave Chappelle. Right. <laughs> Two thousand. Two thousand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in town. He's about to record, killing me softly, the classic comedy special. Yeah. And he pops in the DC Improv, and who's on stage that weekend well, at the DC Improv? So I had I had been hosting at the DC Improv. My first full week was November, October of '99. Mm -hmm. 
back then they would give you like one night as like a test run, then another like a couple months later, one night, and then they'd give you a full week. So I got a full week, then they liked me. I did another full week in January of 2000. Mm-hmm. And they were like, okay, you're in. And they gave me this week to host in June that didn't have a headliner booked yet. They were like, as long as it's not a total misfit show, right. that's yours. And then like a couple months later, it's uh, it, Mitch Hedberg was booked to headline that weekend. His yeah. first weekend at DC Improv. Boom. Yeah, and he was just, like the comics all knew him. Crowds were starting to get it. Like he, he was just beating the blow up, but we all wanted to work with him. I was like, oh, that's right. I got it. You know, like yeah. I was all happy. The late great. Yep. Yeah. And then um, leading up to the weekend, like maybe a few day, a few days or a week before, I get a call, and um, the the original lineup was going to be Mitch Hedberg headlining, Orny Adams featuring. Jeez. He would come down from New York. He was featuring at the Improv a lot. In fact, when I worked there th- that January, he was the feature. And so he got rebooked the same time I got. I got an Orny Adams story, but I'll save it for later. Yeah, I worked with him a couple of times back then. He was always featuring there. He shit on me in L.A. big time <laughs> on on stage, on stage because I was a host. Yeah, because I was like, yo, uh, I was like, I was on stage. I was hosting uh, at the Hollywood Improv Comedy Juice, and uh, I was like, yo, give it up for motherfucking Orny Adams. He's like, motherfucker, and he just started like he got on stage like motherfucking Orny Adams, <laughs> motherfucking. <laughs> in all my years of doing comedy. Has no one. He's, he's like, very dramatic. Yeah, he just like <laughs> for for five minutes just shit like kind of like just making fun of me. But I think that was his way of just resetting the energy because I think yeah. he followed Dane Cook or something. Yeah, you got to establish your energy. Sometimes you got to like at the expense of the last guy. And then, uh, and then uh, yeah, and then and then he got off stage and he motherfucking killed it. And then uh, <laughs> he got so pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, my bad. Go ahead, man. So, but then, but that was the lineup. It was it was going to be and this improv weeks back then used to be t- Tuesday through Sunday, mm-hmm. eight shows. So you would have like there would be one night when they weren't open, and then like the a few days before uh, they they call me and they say, okay, here's what's going on. So Dave Chappelle is going to be in town recording his hour special on Friday of that week. So he wants to come in on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and feature just to run some sets, Mm -hmm. feature for Mitch Hedberg. So we're going to bump Orny down the host and we're going to bump you off those shows. And I was like, yeah, I can't complain about that. Right. And I said, well, what about the rest of the weekend? Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I'm still good there. They said, actually, we also double booked the MC and we're going to take you off the whole weekend. Oh, my God. Yeah, so I was like, oh, great. And then the guy they picked over me was like inferior as a comic. It was like ridiculous. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, point Let to him the, know. Point to the name you think you're better than him. I was like, oh, that guy right there. <laughs> <laughs> so then on Tuesday, like 11 a.m., 12, something like that, I get a call from the improv. Uh, Mitch Hedberg's not going to make it in tonight. Um, we're just going to have Chappelle headline. Orny's going to feature. Do you want to host? They owed me a spot. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to host? I said, yeah. They put Orny's name on the marquee. They had a marquee like the draft house used to, like, has. That they okay. One of those. They didn't want to advertise Chappelle because he was, all the crowds were supposed to go to the special tape. Right. right. This is before yeah. Dave had any, Was it It was before Ch- uh, Chappelle show. Before Chappelle show. He had done a half hour special already. But he wasn't like mainstream um, popping like that. He was in movies and he was just a guy who headlined the improv once, twice a year. He was working clubs. Mm. He was a, he was a, one of the bigger names working clubs. Word. But he wasn't like, this phenomenon. Household name, yeah. Yeah. In D.C., he would always sell out because it was hometown. Word. But, um, so they were like, come in, uh, host Tuesday. I said, great. And this was on Tuesday. So I went in, I hosted. Chappelle did like an hour 45. 
and there's a small crowd, sparse kind of Tuesday night crowd. And then Wednesday, I get another, I get the same call. It's like, oh, uh, Mitch is also not coming in tonight. And they wouldn't tell us why he wasn't coming. Like, they, they didn't seem too happy about it. We know, did, did, it, did it ever come out? No, all the comments were like, maybe he was mad he had to follow Dave Chappelle for his first time ever at the Improv, like you know. Oh, but, wow. yeah. but I don't know. It could have been anything. Could have been just travel problems. But same thing. I got a call that day. I went to the Improv that night. Hedberg wasn't there. Chappelle headlined. Orny featured. I hosted. Chappelle did like an hour and a half that night. And then on Thursday, uh, Mitch made it to town. So. Thursday of that week. This was in June of two. So wait, your whole backtrack. When yeah. so Wednesday you're hosting for Chappelle. Tuesday and Wednesday. Tuesday and Wednesday. So yeah. now you're you're in the green room with in in the DC hanging improv. Yeah. Hanging out with Chappelle. Yeah. You've never met Chappelle. Never met him, but we're about the same age. So we're just like two guys about the same age mm-hmm. hanging out. Looking back, I'm like, holy shit, he was like twenty seven. About to filming an hour special, twenty six, right. twenty seven. And I'm emceeing, you know. Yeah. Right. But keep in mind he started yeah. when he was like fourteen. Fourteen. Yeah. But it was, but Meaning we he's were, 13 years in at that point. Right. Yeah, he's he's right. he's overdue. <laughs> but like, yeah, we were just it was two guys about the same age hanging out. Like, yeah. you know, it wasn't it was very laid back. He was like just he was like, I don't know what bits I'm gonna do. Like he was just kind of trying to figure out what he's in his do own head. Special. Yeah, yeah, and I'm just like, oh, I'd do any of them. Like it doesn't matter. Like they're all great, you know. So we were just, you know, he wasn't this this thing, this Dave Chappelle. Yeah. He was just a dude, and um, and that was before he got most of the stuff that he got. Yeah, there's a couple years before Chappelle's show. And Killing Him Softly when that came out was huge. Mm-hmm. So it hadn't come out yet, oh, obviously. Yeah. That's how and yeah. uh it's classic. 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 Yeah. So then Thursday was the only time that week where you had Orny host, Dave Chappelle feature, Mitch Hedberg headline, his first ever spot at the DC improv. Yeah. He had to follow Chappelle. And then Friday Chappelle filmed I think he did two shows at whatever the theater, maybe Lincoln Theater. Lincoln. And um and that was like his a few months later that comes out and it's like this classic but those are the bits he was doing coming to the improv we used to go sit in the back and watch every week you know and he was those are the bits he'd been working on for a few years at that point right you know a couple years at least so like that's that that set was perfect you know but yeah he was like he just kind of came in unannounced and headline I wish I would have taken a picture I don't have a picture of that you know, because yeah, that's, that's that like whole weekend, yeah, three hundred likes that yeah. I'm missing. <laughs> missing <laughs> so many oh, no, likes. Chappelle likes, but you got the story, man. Yeah, it's you a good story for Chappelle, dog. Yeah, and I'll, I'm going to tell you uh, an addendum to that story after we stop recording. Okay, there's, there's something I can't say on. God, <laughs> that's um, going to be on our Patreon. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you got to pay for that, man. Yeah, <laughs> just Andy just shitting on all types of people. Yeah, he was inferior. But here's the here's the <laughs> tragic part of that story. So the improv was like, we owe you a spot. So pick a spot in the fall. Anyone you want to work with, you can work that week. So I looked at the calendar. I was like, Robert Schimmel, he's coming in September. Give me that week. They were like, done. You're on for Robert Schimmel. Like a couple weeks later, Robert Schimmel announces he has cancer, canceling all his dates. Damn. And uh, they replace him with Gary Owen. And so this is like in the middle of the summer. Yeah. And so we used to go to the improv all the time. I'd like check in with the booker, like, "Hey, are we still? Am I still good for Gary Owen? Because that's kind of that's going to be like a black show, and maybe you want to put like a black host." Or yeah. He says, "No, no, you're fine. You're fine. No." And then like a week or two later, I, so we we good. We go for this Gary Owen thing. You sure don't want to move me to a different? Yeah. No, no, you're good. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And then like just week after week, I would double check, double check. No, you're good. You're good. And then right. Like that, the day of that week, essentially, maybe the day before, I get a call from the improv. Like, we just 
we just realized this is basically a black show. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and we want to we want to add some color to the show, which was the the wording that that was used. So they kept the feature on who was white. The MC yeah. me, I got I'm expendable. Yeah. They bumped me. So I didn't even get my makeup week. And then the other tragedy, mm. the week before that, literally the week before that, uh Brian Regan used to come to the improv and usually on Tuesday, Wednesday, Dennis Regan would come in and headline his brother, Dennis. He has a brother that does comedy? Yeah. He's older, actually. Dennis huh. would headline to the first two nights, and then Thursday, Brian would come in. Dennis would feature. So they called me on Tuesday. They said, hey, we had a fallout. Do you want to host Tuesday and Wednesday with Dennis Regan? I said, yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll do that. I went in and hosted to those two shows. Dennis Regan liked me a lot. He was like, at the end of the second night, he was like, so you're going to be here all weekend uh, when Brian gets in? I said, no, they just last minute somebody dropped out, so they put me in. He goes, mm-hmm. "Do you want to host a weekend with Brian Regan?" I said, "Well, I'd love to, but I'm literally on the books next week hosting for Gary Owen." Yeah. He goes, "Well, I could go in the office right now and tell them to put you on the host." And I said, "Well, I don't want to bump. They got someone who's booked. I don't want to bump that person. I got bumped myself a couple months ago yeah. on this uh, Hedberg week. I don't want to. I don't want to be that guy." He goes, are you sure? Because I, I can go do it right now. I can just walk in right now and tell them put you on. I said, thank you very much, but I can't. I'm, I'm literally here next week. Yeah. He goes, all right. <laughs> so I turned down Brian Regan, and then the next week they bumped me off the week. Yeah. So Shit. that's how it goes, man. That's yeah. why I just seize the moment. You do. I learned that. I was like, just if someone asks you for you want to do something, say yeah, yeah, yeah. Just say yeah, or you ask for it yourself. Well, that's why. Or yeah, that's why. But also, it's like a weird balance of like not asking, but kind of. It's like. Uh, I had a situation with Brent Morin. I my first weekend I got was with Brent Morin. They loved me. And I became friends with the feature, Jason Collings, who yeah. like ended up headlining the overachievers. Yeah. And him crashing my place. And uh they were like, Yeah, you're our guy. Every every time we're in town, you're our guy. And I was like, All right, cool. Like, right. you know, I, I don't that's nice of them. I don't I didn't ask for it, but if you you know, hey, if you guys like me, sure, have me. And then this so this this year came around and I'm like Oh, hey, Jason, I saw you're coming to the improv. Hey, maybe you could do the overachievers. Like, cool. We put, I get him for the overachievers. He's like, yeah, man, we'll have you do the weekend. It'll be great. I'm like, cool. Yeah. Fast forward, uh, they put out the flyer. It's like, uh, it's Brent, Jason, and Naomi Caravani, okay. which is cool. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Right. Um, you know, maybe something happened, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's fine. <laughs> I don't think nothing of it. I tell Jason, I'm like, hey, Jason, just g- I hope you have a great weekend. And then he's like, yeah, it looks like they, you guys, you know, went with so I was like, well, you're not on it. I was like, no. I was like, hold on, let me make a phone call. Oh. And he's like, and then he like he, he like calls Brent, and then Brent talks to his man, his agents, and I'm like, no, I don't, I don't want to bump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Naomi, I don't. Right. They already announced the flyer. What do you, yeah. you know? What do you right. guys? And then on top of that, I don't want. I think, I already would try to be opening for Andrew Schultz, which is like this upcoming week. Yeah. Which I got. Yeah. Catch me at the DC Improv June 14th or June 17th for Andrew Schultz. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, not you know I want that's the weekend I wanted wanted. Right. Brent's they're great, but Andrew I, I just wanted that audience the Andrew Schultz and so that was like yeah Doug I'm good I'm good this is the first year where I'm not even like thirsty for opening for people. Yeah How's it yeah. Feel? Bro, it feels great, man. It's very liberating. <laughs> it's fucking liberating. Because, like, for the longest time, I just wanted that picture of, like, at the fucking Warner Theater. Or even the imp- – dude, honestly, man, the DC Improv for so long was, like, the fucking – That backdrop behind you, that picture? Mm. Not even the – it was just the whole getting something that you had no access to. It was like yeah. – it was like – people don't even realize, bro, there wasn't even an open mic when I st- – like, 
there was no host getting a weekend at the improv was just so unrealistic yeah it was just not even happening it was like there was no open mic there's no like comedy showcases to see who's up and coming it was just like they already had their roster their small roster it was like you tim right rob mayer right for a long time ramin's there a lot Ramin. jason weems you know. so uh we got i got like back lost but um that was the whole improv i wanted to talk about a lot of people don't even know dog like uh you were born in Iran. Yeah. 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 So I'm Iranian. I'm Iranian. People like don't. I'm Iranian. I'm half Iranian. My mother's Iranian. That's what that's what our bond is, though. Yeah. Me and Andy, we're like the half word. Persian. Yeah. And half Persian crew. Ramin's out there. He's half Persian. Um, I was born there in a time when it was very westernized. So it wasn't unusual for like an American. My dad, American, goes over there for work. Yeah. Lives there for a few years. <clears throat> and... Like they had English speaking schools and all these things. So, just so people who haven't seen Andy, he's very, he gives off very white vibes. There's nothing yeah. Persian <laughs> because no v necks, no <laughs> chest hair popping out. My dad, also, I don't look it. My dad is not just white, he was like red hair, freckles white. Yeah. So, he offset all the pigment that my mother would have given me. Like in the summer, if, I, in, if I'm in the sun a lot, know, I'll man. get pretty, I can get get pretty all dark. The, you would have been on all the diversity showcases. I know. I know. NBC. If I had a, even, I don't even have an ethnic name. And I wanted to, yeah, like it's yeah, like. I was about to ask, like, do you have like a middle name? I do have a middle name that's that's uh, but it's not Persian. Yeah, okay. Do you have like a Persian uncle, like Andy? <laughs> I got aunts. Would you like some candy? <laughs> I got. Uh, that's a good joke, huh? Like, no, it's not. No, it's <laughs> <laughs> Leave me alone, uncle. They're all pretty hip, actually. Can you curse? Do you curse in Farsi? Do you eat gorma no. sabzi? Is it gorma sabzi? Gorma sabzi. I never really liked it. No. DJ yeah. Bo was my roommate. He was a roommate with uh, me, DJ Bo, and my dad for like yeah. a few years. That's an awesome roommate, <laughs> by the way. Was, was he cooking then? Your dad? Nah, he would have like. Bruce uh, had somebody else come cook for yeah, us. Yeah, very, yeah, 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 yeah. Very Persian man thing to do. But yeah. um, no, he was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I spoke Farsi. My first language was, far, was Farsi, and then I forgot it all. Oh, like man. we moved here when I was four because the revolution happened. True. And it was seventy nine. Like, Gunshots popping in the streets. I was like four and a half years old. Young Andy's like, I gotta get out of here. I think my dad had to leave first because he was American. That's like, pack up the rugs. He was just like, get the Mercedes. We have to go now. (laughs) We had some rugs uh, that didn't make it. They they shipped them over, and it was like, oh, your rugs got lost. Wink, wink. Wink, wink. That shit got taken. And um, he had to go first. I don't remember any of this, but then my mother had to like get me and my brother out. And then we moved. We first of all went to Seattle for like. a few weeks or a couple months, mm-hmm. summer of 79. And then we moved, we drove cross country to Virginia. And like all my memories Damn. in life, except yeah. for a couple like still images, my memories begin at Seattle. And I think I probably just lost it when I lost the language and everything else. Right. I probably just don't have any memory of it. Yeah, you got to practice that, man. Yeah. I never got into, uh, I never got the chance to learn Farsi because uh, it was. I was mo- both my parents were trying to learn English. Oh, okay. So like they were speaking broken English to us. So I not only could I not speak Farsi or Spanish, I couldn't speak English properly. <laughs> I was like, "Hello, maybe." You were learning broken English. Yeah. Like, Hola, salam, chitori. I'm confused. They put me in Esau class for like up until third grade. I'm not exaggerating. I just mumbled. I was an idiot. So Esau is like. Uh, English class for non-English speaking. Yeah, yeah. second students. language. Yeah. yeah, so that's dope as fuck. But I was coming up in the early 80s, 
and like there's a hostage crisis and stuff. And uh, so yeah, the kids were, at school, you don't want them to tease you. Even yeah, you don't yeah. want that. Erotic, so we yeah. lost our accents quick. Do you ever walk past a hookah bar and just like tears <laughs> go down your eyes? <laughs> I still I still get some kebabs every now and then. You know. Hello. <laughs> so yeah, man. Hell yeah. That's pretty tight. Yeah. yeah. And then on a super side note, I mean, you recently performed for uh, over a thousand Iranians. Yeah. That was a whole, and there's like a side plot to that story. Word. But I'll let you go. With you could, Max Amini. That's right. Uh, cousin Max. Okay. Cousin, yeah, man. Um, that was like a last minute deal. Like Saturday afternoon, I get a text like, hey, what are you doing tonight? And I'm like, I don't know. Nothing. This is like a month ago. Yeah. Open mic at the draft house. I don't know. Oh, okay. Well, Max Amini needs an opener. Uh, and then like just within like 10 minutes, it's like he had my number. We were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I think Tim got the call first. Tim got the call. Tim texted me. Yeah. And I called you. I was like, I thought you were doing it. Like, yeah, Tim. So yeah, Tim called me. For, I got a call Saturday. So to even uh, to preface this story, Max Amini, my cousin. I don't. T- I haven't really. Sp- I'm gonna have him on the podcast. So I'm a lot of. The, I'm gonna. I'm gonna save a lot of the stories for that episode. But just give. I got a cousin, uh, who is uh, an LA-based comedian. Um, and is the reason why I even do. I, I was his camera guy for two years, so I'll, I'll tell you that whole backstory. And then I, I moved to DC after working with him for two years. Just flew in. Just flew in. You know what I mean? <laughs> got some uh, yeah experience uh, hanging out with Maximini. Uh, got a lot of cologne jokes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, and so um, I've opened for my cousin in the past a few times, and like this was the first year I was like, nah, I'm good. And uh, but there's a reason for it. And yeah. I'm going to save that reason for an episode with my cousin, Max, who's actually on tour with Jeremy Piven, Ari from Entourage right now. What's wow. Jeremy Piven doing stand-up? Or? Yeah, it's a whole, but they're doing theaters. It's a whole thing. Go yeah. check out their Instagram feed. Is he any good? I don't know. I mean, he's selling tickets. I mean, they're doing like three, 4,000 seaters now. To, but like to That's get crazy. It's, it's Really? Hey, yeah. man. That's how they already go. They just man. did Miami. It's crazy. But anyway, so like you're opening. Yeah, so Andy's opening for, I think, 1,500 Iranian people at yeah. GW, Lisner yeah. Auditorium. Yeah. And uh, I I already know what that energy is. Yeah. I've done it. A few, I, I did the Warner Theater, which is eighteen hundred seats with Max. Yeah. Two years ago, and you were there. And you, I, I was there. I, I, I you wanted, got me in. I wanted you to be there to um, watch my, where like <laughs> <laughs> my uh, just you know my family dynamic of like this right. is how, this is how I got into comedy. Right. Most people get into comedy like not knowing. I got into comedy hanging out at the Laugh Factory with like with Dane Cook, Neil Brennan, and Max at the table. At the com- I was at the comics table with yeah. those guys before I even got into comedy. So that's how I go to like open mics. Like, yeah, I just flew in from <laughs> L.A. And in my mind, I'm like, I'm hanging out with these guys, not knowing. I yeah. never got to see the open mic side of it. By the time I was hanging out with my cousin, he was already yeah. uh, past at all the clubs in L.A. Yeah. So I'm I'm seeing my cousin on lineups with Aziz. Um, Tosh, yeah, you know all the hitters on co- like comedy juice, the improv. So, yeah, and uh, like the show that I did with him, like it's, it's packed out. Like he's a big deal, you know. In the Persian community, he's my, my cousin sells out eighteen hundred yeah. seats, uh, and it's it's not just Iranian; it's like super Iranian. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, because yeah. Mazabrani is another big name in the Persian community, but I feel like even Maz's audience is like sprinkle of different like you know ethnicities whereas with like max if you're not persian you're married to a persian that's really the whole vibe right right yeah and like he'll sprinkle in a lot of farsi right Mm -hmm. and 
Mm-hmm. Which Andy Klein uh, definitely, <laughs> definitely has bits about. So. <laughs> don't understand a word. And uh, but he won't explain. Like you know, he won't explain it to the to the non-speakers. He yeah, won't even right. explain it. Yeah, I'll just keep going. <laughs> just, <laughs> you should have known better. <laughs> it's just, it's, that part of the show was not for you. Yeah. Um, but and also this is the interesting about him. Interesting thing about him. The show that you did with him, it was like you were at, like it was like you were at this big theater, you know, right. like and you were like, yeah, I gotta, like, I gotta like, have like a like walk around stage a little bit and all that. Right, right, right. It's a big room, big show. Mm-hmm. He comes out, he makes a theater seem like a club. He does crowd work, which you don't see at theaters a lot. Like mm. it's really intimate. It's really interesting because he's talking to people as though he's in a sixty seat club, but he's in a theater that's over a thousand people, which. That's a skill. It's hard to do that. It's a, that's mm-hmm. his shows are very intimate and they're very like inside. Yeah, you know, not just inside jokes, but it's just like we're having we're all having our little moment here together. And when I went up for the show, they hadn't even finished seating people, so like it was. Yeah, just, you're telling me how like I was, was a sacrificial lamb. Like the house lights were up, half the crowd was still walking oh, in, terrible talking. Damn. The show you did, they actually started pretty late. I remember that the Warner Theater show. Yeah, and it, but it was, even still. They were like, you yeah. know, Persians. They show up so fucking late. Yeah. So by the time I'm on stage, people are still filing in. It was, yeah. it was, it was, a, it was a night. It was like a tough. But again, it was like, yo, I wanted to do the Warner Theater. Right. I wanted to do it. I was like, yo, I want to be in front of 1,800 people. Yeah. Because you know, back what was it, two even two years ago, I was still trying to get stage time at other rooms. I couldn't get. I wasn't in. I, I didn't work the improv. I yeah. didn't work. Uh, Kurt Shackelford wasn't booking me two <laughs> years ago. So I was just trying to like get that Warner Theater picture. Like, yo, just did a show for 1,800 people. But, you know, now it's like... Hashtag blessed. Hashtag blessed. Uh, hashtag just fluent from LA. <laughs> I, you know, I don't need it no more. I mean, it's like I'm straight, you know. Picture's but, not even up on Instagram, is it? What? The Warner Theater picture. Um, it's, I don't know. But it's, it, it's more about the experience. I mean, just getting the... You know, Warner's like... That's fucking... That's where Chappelle just taped the special. His, right. his newest one. So right. it's like a very, very few people who've been doing this for a long time get an opportunity to even go on that stage. Right. So it's like, yo, you got an opportunity where your cousin's performing for eighteen hundred Iranian people. Fuck it, <laughs> hey man. And that's like that was like the state of mind. Man. I, don't, I was like, I went through a phase. Like, I don't give a. F- I still don't give a fuck. I I, I'll, I performed at a protest before. I performed. I'll perform anywhere. The Persians. It's like you gotta just change it up, though, man. It's a very unique experience. Like you can't. There's nowhere you can practice running bits by a room full of Iranian people. Right. Right, you just have to you, you have to do like what jokes would my mother like? Yeah, you know what I mean, like, and even that you got to get the timing on that. You got to get the timing on like you well, know for you literally, right? right yeah. it literally, like, and and I don't have a lot, but yeah. there's one that's on YouTube that she has quoted to me yeah. a bunch of times, and to me it was like a throwaway joke, and that was my biggest laugh. Really? <laughs> yeah. I, I knew that I knew that yeah. was gonna do well, but I was like, all right. So, and, but but that's like I'm playing to that crowd. Yeah, you know, like, different gear. Yeah, more conservative, a little older. Although they were like teenagers in the crowd too. Yeah. Like, but they were like dressed in suits and right. You know, it was a different vibe. I wish I could have gotten a, in front of that crowd when they were like settled. But I was like, just basically like, hey, I'm just getting you guys used to the idea of a person talking on stage. Yeah. Right, right, right. While you're finding your seat, they were like having full on conversations yeah. in the crowd. You know. Oh, it sounds. I'm sorry I had to go through that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I passed on it. I was I've like, played yeah. way worse gigs than that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, man. Um, uh, let's take it back to high school, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, I always have to ask. Oh yeah, Bo's got to get this mix going. Yeah, I, I gotta do this mix for you, man. So like, <laughs> what, what were you listening to? Like, when was high school for you, though? I graduated in '92. Okay. So Wh- where'd you go to high school? Loudoun County High School. Loudoun. 
in Leesburg. The Virginia. streets. That at the time was the only high school in Leesburg. It's gotten way bigger, but it was like a small town back then. Yeah. <clears throat> so I gra- I actually musically like uh I feel lucky as hell. Like when I look back, because when I was in elementary school, Thriller came out. And I was like, everybody was in. Thr- we all tried to make a glitter glove. Yeah. You know, put some glue on a glove, and it never works. But we all tried it. And then in middle school, like sixth, seventh grade, sixth grade, I think, rap starts to explode. Like Run mm-hmm. DMC, LL Cool J, Beastie Boys, and for several years, that's all I listened to. Yeah. Was rap, and like a little bit of R and B because you had to listen to the R and B station. To hear any rap, they barely wouldn't. They wouldn't play rap really, but right. sometimes like Rock Kim would have a verse on a Jody Watley song or whatever, and like mm. he's like, okay, there's a little rap on, and then Yo MTV Raps <laughs> comes on. We were yeah. we would literally come home from school and go over to someone's house every single day to watch Yo MTV Raps, and then it's crazy. And then BET had uh, Chris Thomas. Yeah, Rap City that came a little bit later, but when I was, I think I was still in middle school when Yo MTV Raps started. It was so, a Saturday at first. Mm-hmm. Fab Five Freddy hosted it, and then it became daily with Ed Lover and Dr. Dre. And that was four o'clock every day. We would go home and watch it every single day. Nice half hour. Yeah. <clears throat> and then, I guess yeah, it was uh, October of my senior year mm-hmm. was when Nevermind came out, and Nirvana changed music. Yeah. And uh, like that was the perfect time for me like i i feel so lucky that i'm like 17 years old and this is all happening because yeah. then all that like grunge stuff and alternative music and i'll still listen to the rap so i was like listening to rap mm-hmm. and like alternative rock yeah for years but like um yeah high school ended in 92 mm-hmm. and that was like that was when nirvana was blowing up pearl jam was blowing up that came out in 92 never mind never mind came out in 91 91 yeah so did pearl jam's first album it actually came out before Nevermind, but it didn't blow up until after. Yeah. Because Nevermind was like, Seattle, let's, who else is from Seattle? Oh, this other band had an album out last right. month. And they blew up. And then, um, you know, Nas and Biggie come out. Wu-Tang comes out, like, all 93, 94. 93 was a wild year. Yeah. yeah, yeah Exhibit, did lot. Exhibit have his first album, too? The I Foundation? Was it 93? Paparazzi. When he had I that think that song. was a little bit. I think that was like 94, 95 maybe. I was but. talking to my friend, my friend Austin, who's like a hip-hop guru. It's like the worst time for Exhibit to come out with his, like, because like if you think about, <laughs> if you look at his album just straight yeah. up top to bottom, it's a classic. But yeah. then he just was going up against like Wu-Tang, Tupac. Right. Like the, like yeah. the, the, right. the, the greatest like, of the greats. The like, greatest yeah. of the greats. But if it was any other year, yeah. it would have been, been like killing. critically acclaimed. like Right. Like Snoop Dogg came out in 93. His album came out. Doctor Dr. the Chronic came out like right, uh, right around you know a year before that. Maybe it was, it was a year before. I think it was ninety one. Chronic came out. Yeah, or maybe yeah, maybe Snoop Dogg. Yeah, but Ready to Die came out ninety three. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you were in high school. Yeah. Ready to Die came out. It came out right after high school. I was in okay. high school. I graduated in ninety two. The song that I remember listening to because we had like our graduation rehearsal right yeah. earlier in the day, and then. I remember hearing, I still have a vivid memory of hearing two songs on the radio, which had been playing constantly, but um, Tennessee by Arrested Development. Yeah. And um, They Reminisce Over You, which was the song of the mm. summer in 92. That oh, song okay. was Troy. everywhere. Oh. And it was on the radio. It was like yeah. we all had the tape play. That was back when you. Is that Pete Rock? Pete Rock, CL Smooth, yeah. Yeah, it's a classic. And like that was. We would all like buy different tapes. Like we had to buy tapes and just 
you would just dub your friends tapes, you know? Yeah. So like, all right, I'll buy, we'd go to the, like the, the, the record store. Yeah. It was like, we would just be in the little rap section and be like, all right, I'll buy Big Daddy Kane, you buy Kwame, mm. and then we'll just, we'll just, you know, I'll dub it for you and you'll Sorry. dub it for me. Yeah. MC Hammer's first album when that came out, like before he, before You Can't Touch It, the first album mm-hmm. was like a big deal. Like he was, that was his best album. I what, what hit did he have on that? Um, Turned his mother out was on that. Let's yeah. get it started. Uh, I think he had a song called "Pump It Up" or something like that. Remember "Pump It Up"? <laughs> yeah. Um, Damn, I remember that bum ass song. But. Yeah, <laughs> but that was like a bit like all these like, but it was just like you know it was all sort of semi underground, and yeah. we were like in the suburbs, like you know, and like yeah. Gogo was filtering in, <laughs> right? Like, like EU, and then like like Rare Essence and all these groups and. And uh, like stuff so for years, it was just that it was just deep into that, like yeah. that, the golden age of hip hop, and like I still probably have some of those tapes somewhere, you know, like the original tapes, yeah, in a, in a yeah. shoebox somewhere. That's yeah. dope. Sounds like DJ Bo's gonna have a dope ass mix after yeah, this man. episode. Probably gonna be a lot of grunge and classic hip hop. Yeah, see if yeah. you can blend all. Because Russ Green had yeah, a a, ni- a very '90s playlist also, because he went yeah. to Wilson High School in like '94, I think he said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, that playlist was like all yeah, Tribe Called Quest's first album. Yeah, like yeah. The, all that stuff was out when I was like in high school. Beastie Boys' first three albums, I think. I think the third album came out when I was when high school just ended. Basically, check your head, but yeah, like all that stuff. And then like suddenly I was into rock music. I wasn't into rock music before no. Nirvana. Like I have friends who were like metalheads. Uh huh. They all love Metallica, and I was like. Yeah, yeah. Satanic devil music, <laughs> you know. I would never get into it. Now I'm into yeah. it, but like that chain, like Nirvana, like that whole changed music thing mm-hmm. that 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 cliche that actually happened for me. Like they opened my eyes up to a lot. I was like, oh, this is different because all the rock music before that was hair bands. It was like Motley Crue and yeah, yeah. Warrant and all like these arena rock shit. Cinderella, yeah. yeah, all the teased hair and yeah. and makeup and girls, 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 and all that stuff. And then like it wasn't real. It just there was nothing to connect with, and then Nirvana had like a like a realness to them, and then Pearl Jam, which is my favorite band ever, right on the heels of that, mm. all the Seattle stuff, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, like I'm the cliche, I'm that dude, and then like in, in the mid nineties, it's all good, <laughs> yeah, but in the mid nineties, I was classic, like I was like I had the classic white guy college white guy taste in rap music. I was yeah. like I like Common, <laughs> you know, I like Black most Star. Def, yeah, Black Star, like it was almost oh, a cliche. Man. Wait, weren't you at the Anthem? No. I wanted to go. I was prepared to go. And I just kind of slept on it. It was like April 20th came. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. Because the week before we had talked about it on our podcast, I was like, hey, guys, this is the week. Right. And then I just kind of just yeah. didn't go. And I feel like I should. Because that was the whole thing. It's like it's a once in a lifetime thing. You yeah. let the Black Star movement down, Andy. I did. Because <laughs> they're not going to. I mean, they, they're, they say they're going to put out an album yeah. this year. But didn't most Dev said he was going to retire and never yeah. go on stage? So oh, I'm glad he didn't because uh, I missed that retirement show. I, I, mean, I, I saw th- Black Star at 930 Club like 10 really? years ago. Yeah. Was it good? It was pretty cool. I'm not a big fan of. I don't, I don't like. I was upstairs at 930. I think yeah. it's over. I think it's overrated. But uh, <laughs> people might. Talk shit about my take on that, but but that's you and music. <laughs> I like I like right? you, you, I like U Street Music Hall. Yeah, I like the acoustics of that room. What about the Fillmore? Have you been there? Nah, I haven't been there. Fillmore's nice. I've been it, there twice. Yeah, three times. 
I saw the roots all three times there. Oh shit, that I sounds dope. Yeah, I played the film one. Played it on the open for Uzi. All but right, you know, what, <laughs> man, yeah. look, y'all flex your he comedy just, muscles. He just, he just flew in from LA. Just, hey, <laughs> look. Yeah, I've seen the roots there. Yeah. They they do a show between Christmas and New Year's every just about every year, and I've seen three three shows there. Once was on New Year's Eve actually. Right, caught a, yeah, caught a drumstick. Not bragging. Word. Yeah. Word. Questlove just flung it out. I didn't even really see it. I kind of stuck my hand out. Yeah, just grabbed it. It just landed in just my hand. elbows everyone. <laughs> Stepping on people. Yeah. No, right. you can't be the white guy at a Roots show elbowing people. He's <laughs> not worthy of this spot. He's. <laughs> <laughs> so what's next for, uh, what are you working on now? Like, what, we, we kind of covered it. Because like, you, you still hit, you hit all the rooms. You're yeah. getting booked on shows. Well, I've kind of settled into just accepting the fact that I'm just going to be an independent artist. The industry doesn't fuck with me. They never mm-hmm. really did. Um, I could probably pursue it a little more. I could probably, like, I know a guy who knows the guy for Conan. I could probably sure. push a little bit to do that. But right now I'm just content with, like, i got to get my next album ready. I put an album last year. I'm not halfway to an album now. Mm-hmm. But right. I've got some momentum where I'm like, okay, I know where this is gonna How go. How was uh, Andy? Andy dropped a album last year called Vintage. Called Vintage. It's on iTunes right now. Yeah, you can still uh, download it. Check that out. I get a royalty check every now and then. I just got one. Nice. Thirty bucks. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> every now and then I'll get a little like like uh, CD Baby is the the website that yeah. I use to distribute the album, and they'll like. We've sent you a payment because it streams and things. Everything oh, that's great. A couple pennies here, a sale there, and but that's people just uh, finding out about you for the first. Yeah, time. and and Pandora, like all these things, you get a little bit of money. Andy, yeah. I don't know if you know this, but hundreds of people in hundreds. the DC metropolitan area <laughs> and twenty people in Texas will hear this. Right. Well, you know, so expect a big bump in your CD baby. It's weird. Our podcast has a big <laughs> Texas following too, but. Tim, who isn't really on our sh- podcast anymore, but he was Tim Miller. Is and everything Randolph. cool with y'all? Or is Tim yeah, and- Tim just had he had a baby, and he sees the baby on weekends, and mm. it's just kind of drifted away from. We record on Saturday, yeah. and if you've got a child, you're like, okay, well, you should probably go yeah. raise your child, you know. So then he kind of drifted. You ain't out. about this comedy life. <laughs> <laughs> and then we started getting a being th- a good father and shit, <laughs> right? <laughs> our third is usually just a get like we have a rotation of like yeah. four or five guests that come in every week. Um, and then Tim has been on since. I mean, he kind of pulled away. He actually hasn't been on in a while. I think last time he was on was like probably last year. Tim, I would imagine, is great uh, at this too, huh? He's good on the mic. Oh, it was a huge loss. <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, some girl needs a father. But, That's right. But uh, shout out to Tim Miller. He's uh, he's on. He's been on the Overachievers. Yeah, Tim's from Texas. Randolph is from Texas. So a lot of our early listeners, were, we had all these same that you guys just random hits from Texas. Random hits yeah. from Texas. Dog. Like, where's those What's, coming from? Yeah. That's crazy, cause I would imagine, I, I like New York and L.A. would be like our big right second markets. Nope, nope, fucking Texas. No one in Georgia. Well, you keep bad mouthing Texas, it's not it's gonna dry up. Now nah, you know they, you know we love you, Texas. <laughs> Tell you, man, it's my cousins, bro. Like, yeah, okay. it's hey. Don't, don't show them away. I feel like there's some D.C. comics that moved to Texas. I just don't know. Just, um, just comment. It's very specific. <laughs> Well, I mean, Nick Mullen did years ago, but then he's yeah, he's man. In New York. Shout out to Nick Mullen and Stavi, baby. I gotta get the town come town shout out. Yeah, I uh, I had a uh, Stavros headline our November show last year. Yeah, and um, you know, Stav and I, he was like a couple classes ahead of me, but uh, he was he's from day one. He was the guy who who's been on all my shows at the at the showcases we put together. Yeah, and then uh, fast forward, he moves to New York. He starts the po- podcast, the Come Town podcast, and um. He just we book him to headline the overachievers and I think he sends a tweet out and like 
it sells out in like <laughs> two tweets. Crazy. Really? Yeah. And like I, I was like, oh, this is cool. I'm excited, <laughs> thinking like, oh yeah, it's gonna be a fun. And it, it was it was crazy because we walked in, it sold out. But I didn't realize how different his audience is from yeah. my audience. Yeah. And I had people who come to my show regularly who couldn't get in <laughs> and to this day have not come back because they were pissed off they couldn't get into my show. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. And, but and, and it was so funny if you see this, like, it was like very, a lot of Tiki Torch vibes. And, uh, yeah, you know, that's, they got a, they've got a little bit of an odd fan base. Yeah. You know? But you know what? It's a fan base and I respect, hey, man. You know what they do on Patreon? Because you can do tiers, pricing tiers. Yeah, like not, for five got, bucks, you get this. For ten bucks, they got the Nazi tier. Like if they like, <laughs> if you're a Nazi, like at least give us more money because you're a Nazi and you're like the yeah. Nazi tier. And we're doing racism and irony, uh, wink, wink. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, which is weird because like, like I, I wouldn't tolerate that. I'd be like, just don't give me your money. Like that's a capital capitalism at its finest, baby. I guess I just can't. I can't accept. I mean, we don't have fans that are like that on on mm. my podcast, but I wouldn't be able to accept even ironically money from like a racist and just who's right. listening to me to to sort of um bolster their racism or or, mm. or sort of co-sign it in a way you know it, we've all done jokes where you can tell they're laughing for the wrong reason right yeah and it's like oh they're laughing cuz they actually believe that thing ironic thing i said about asians they actually want to bash asians yeah no no this that's real yeah. cuz i yeah. find myself like laughing yeah, at, at at all their episodes, but it's like, dog, there's people laughing at this for the wrong reason. There's people going, finally, wild. someone finally, said yeah. it. <laughs> I can't, you know, and like, <laughs> and for me personally, and I another just, thing, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you guys should have gone further with that. Yeah, I could tell you wanted to. Um, the like, artistic Mark Wahlberg, or the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they got some dope characters. Yeah, but oh, they're very funny, and the podcast is very funny. But to me, that's like I. I wouldn't want to dip my toes in that water. Yeah, no, I feel you. Know you. I mean, yeah, I'd yeah. be like, look, racism is, yeah. as far as I'm concerned, a zero tolerance thing. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, it, it, racism is terrorism. You don't want to get cum on your toes. That's no, I don't want to sure. get, no. No. <laughs> okay. And, well, on that note. And so it's like, and you probably had some of those, like, those those weirdos coming to your show. like. <laughs> yeah, I got an email the other day because I sent out, uh, we have an email newsletter. Yeah. Uh, very effective, and I just got a response from like, "Hey, when are you gonna get Stavi back on the show?" Do yeah, you know, and uh, I'm gonna, I gotta hit him. I would love to have Stav. Is now is just to the point where my friends have gone on to like having their own audience, and yeah. uh, I, it's like weird when you text them. It's like that has to be factored into the conversation. Yeah, which is like such a, I can't imagine. Maybe Stavi's getting more used to it now. Yeah, but like even before, like he wants to be like on some homie. Like, yo, I'll come and do your show. Yeah, yeah. But now it's like every time he announces a DC show, he has to be conscious of how many times he can come back and use, like use up yeah. his audience. Yeah. yeah, and like I've gotten to a point where I'm like, look, maybe we could do something where you don't announce, like you don't have to promote it, just come do the show, right? And then do my like that way you can like use my audience. You mm-hmm. know, that's interesting because you brought up Trevor Noah earlier, right? Trevor Noah, the first time he did the Draft House in Arlington, was trying to get in front of not his audience, mm. and. All this, every South African in D.C. came to those shows. Right. Like, they, it was like seven shows. They kept adding shows. And so I picked him up at the hotel the first night, and yeah. he was like, uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I, I was on tour with Gabriel Iglesias. I, I, I'm trying to pitch a new hour to Comedy Central. This is before Daily Show. Yeah. yeah. And I just want to 
I just want to make sure these jokes work in front of Americans who don't really, I'm not famous to them because if you're famous to someone, they're going to laugh at whatever you do. Right. And so, of course, we get to the draft house and everyone's from South Africa. They're all starstruck. Like he was kind of sitting in the back. They were like, oh my God, it's yeah. Trevor Noah. And so I told him, I was like, this next, the second night, Saturday, I said, look, we run an open mic next door. If you want to come over after your set, come over there. They don't know you. You can just come do a set. And he goes, perfect. And so, because he did meet and greet after the show where mm -hmm. people were like lining up to take pictures. So what he did mm -hmm. the second night after he got off stage, he went out the back door, came up that back hallway by the bathrooms. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. And then walked through the crowd of the green room. We put him right on. He did like 15 minutes. I was like, how much? He was like, how much time do you want me to do? I was like, how much time do you want to do? Yeah. <laughs> he goes, oh, you got to tell me a time. I, was, I, I said, you want to do like 15? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, okay, uh, uh, go ahead. He goes, okay, uh, light me. I said, all right, I'll light you at like... I'll light you at 12 yeah. to let you know where you are. But feel free to do as much time as you want. Bump mm -hmm. these people. Like, who cares yeah. about these these bitter comics <laughs> in the lobby? And he did, like, he just got off at 15. That's but, dope. Yeah. But it was like he wants to, he wanted to get in front he's, of he's that audience. so fucking cool. Like, I'm yeah. not even going to try to hype him. Like, I had a moment. I, I got a chance to open for him. Uh, and you, you helped. You were the one who helped me get that spot. But uh, it, I remember... Being on stage opening night and um, introducing him, place going crazy and like he uh, when I brought him up he like winked at me, <laughs> like on some like he has that Will Smith factor like yeah. that like cool as fuck like yeah. oh shit this dude is famous yeah like he's a fucking superstar not everyone has that swag man he's right. got that swag right and it's like it's it's crazy because like that's I I don't I didn't it's like being on stage like I've been on stage with Drake before. And it's like that superstar aura, that aura of like. Where was a, that? Uh, Howard University for Yard Fest in 2012. Okay. I was like filming on stage, and this is like right in the peak of like when he was really coming up, and 10,000 like girls screaming, rushing the stage, <laughs> like being trampled. People had the ambulances coming to take oh, the girls away, like, like that. But it was yeah. like this, the 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 uh, <laughs> the stage shaking with Trevor Noah, very similar. People holding like flags in the air, like it's a soccer game. Air horns somehow <laughs> in the in the stadium, <laughs> oh, and just shit, like dude. you know, just like a frenzy. Yeah, where it's like, oh, this isn't a regular show. I opened I, for I, uh, Mark Maron once, right when his podcast was taking off. Oh shit! And we were, I had opened for him at the Improv before that, the DC mm -hmm. Improv. I'd done a week before he did a podcast, and then like he puts he put it out on Facebook. Hey, is, do I know anyone in D.C. wants to open for me at the Black Cat? This is like a year later. <laughs> and I was like, yes, I, I can. So I emailed him on Facebook. I was like, hey, man, I don't know if you remember me. I opened for you when you were at Improv like yeah. a year, year and a half ago. Here's a video clip as a refresher if you don't remember me. Yeah. And he said, oh, you got it. And, you know, you got the you got the gig, kid. So, but that was the podcast was like less than six months old, WTF, maybe about six months. And he was like um, – we were talking about it. He was like, "Yeah, I mean, I, th I think I got an audience from that. I think they're coming out to shows and stuff." <laughs> and I'm not, sure, you know, like it's hard to tell, you know, because he was doing this little run of rock clubs, which is a new thing to him. He didn't know, like, you know, yeah, because he was an alt comic at yeah, one point, right? Yeah, and he would do clubs though. It's ironic, which is like now he's like interviewing the president. Yeah, the alt comic. Mm -hmm. And uh, but I, I, I was gonna feature, but then the host would have not been a, the, a good host. Like she was kind of a weirder kind of act so he was like uh, yeah. I'll go I, uh, we've decided I would go first do a longer set she would do more like a guest spot then I would come back out and bring Mark Marin up and so I'm like alright you're headliner tonight blah 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 you know Conan HBO 
hosted WTF podcast. As soon as I said that, the crowd just erupted. Wow. Like, just huge. That's going to be us in three months, baby. <laughs> Host of the Overachievers yeah. podcast. <laughs> right. And then air horns. Yep. And then, like, I'm like, South oh, I, I guess your podcast is, like, I, I was shaking his hand. When he's, I was like, I guess you like the podcast. <laughs> like, they had the T-shirts and everything. Yeah. But it was one of those moments, like, oh, okay, yeah, now you know. Like, this is, yeah. you can sell tickets now. Jeez. You know? Such a great few. It's, it's, that's why I'm, like, surprised you don't even have your live show. Because I'm like. Yeah. It's, we need to. We're just lazy, but you're which right. Which is like lazy about the weirdest things. Yeah. Because you're doing all the other work, and then you're sitting through like comics on Saturday. Yeah. Just kind of work within itself, just being there. Yeah. Yeah, just it like, is. Uh, and you're not going up. Uh, well, you know what? We had a stretch on Saturday in Arlington where we would not go up. We I remember. I think I remember that stretch. We would bump ourselves every week to be nice to give yeah. more spots to people, which is very commendable. And a couple comics were like, "What do you?" What are you doing not going up on your own show? Especially when it's packed and you got a hot crowd in there. Yeah, so then yeah. we started committing ourselves, like holding ourselves accountable. Like, you're going up, we should go up. And now we go up every week. Yeah. You know? I mean, was, did it have anything to do with like not having anything new to say? Yeah, there's a million reasons you can talk yourself out of it. It's like, yeah, I just did like, I did four sets this week. I'm mm-hmm. good. Yeah. I don't have anything new I'm working on. Um, this crowd has a lot of regulars. They've probably seen all my stuff and yeah. this and that. So there's like a lot of that too, like the, the regular human stuff of like, mm, yeah, uh, I could more, I could not go or up. It's more comfortable not to go up, which is yeah. like the gym. It's because like it is the gym kind of. The green room yeah. at one point is the gym. And like last past Saturday, Randolph was like, I already did like a couple sets last night. I'm good. Was there a is there yeah. a fear of like like a guy like you know like a Jamel at that time going up ripping? Yeah, and then. You or Randolph have to follow, and like, what if I don't match that energy? What would everyone think? Not anymore. There was that. At some point, I stopped caring as much about killing it open mic night because to me, it was like, this is getting me ready for real shows. Mm. So I had already sort of had that crown of open mic killer back, like in the yeah when you yeah were... in the in the past. Like I wore that crown long enough. I'm like, you know, I don't have to. You don't have to prove anything. Yeah, you don't live through. You don't live by every. But second. it still doesn't feel good though. Right? No, unless you, if if you try to kill and you just can't follow it, it's like, oh, okay, I got work to do. Yeah. Mm. But if literally it's like, I'm just trying to get this new bit out, I'm just working through this thing. Sure. And that got a few laughs, which is what I was hoping for. Then it's like, oh, that was a successful set, you know? But yeah, there are definitely those, those Chris Rock falling Martin moments where it's like, oh, shit. I got to get back on the ball. Like, right, 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 right. All these times I've said I'm not going up tonight, I should have been going up. But that's what you know? keeps you sharp, right? Yeah. I mean, that's why you go show up at Town Tavern right. on Thursdays. To go last. Go last. You know, and, and, and it's not the most fun time. Right. Just to stay in the mix. Because then sometimes if I'm withdrawn from the scene, if I, a week goes by and I don't really go out much, two weeks go by, maybe I'll go out a couple times, and then I'll go out and I'll see people. I'm like, that person seems sharper from the last time I saw them. Yeah. And I've seen, I feel dull because I haven't been on in six days or whatever. Yeah. So Is like, that a fear of like losing it, losing a step? I don't think I fear that. Um, I don't feel like I fear losing a step. I feel like at some point I won't relate to younger people. That's a fear. You know? I just feel like it's a reality. You know, like, like mm-hmm. I skew young, I, I, I feel younger than I am. I, I'm more hip than a lot of people. My I think age. comedy keeps you young, man. Yeah, you're you're. I'm around younger people all the time. I don't look that old. Like my hair's not gray or falling out to the extreme level. But at some point it might be, and then yeah. I'll be like, I'll be the old guy in the room. You know. Yeah, but you know, it's fr- it's crazy, and, and that it makes perfect sense. But then I see guys like again, the anomaly, Tony Woods, right? Who's like, 
the oldest but the coolest guy in the room. Yeah. How is that even? And that's what gives me. I'm like, yo, man, I'm just trying to like <laughs> to have that as a reference point is so cool. Right. There's not you don't a lot of people don't get a chance to even see what that is. Right. You could be like in your damn 60s and fucking being the coolest, most likable, charming, and like have that killer material, uh, and it's possible. It's yeah. not. It's not impossible because mm. it's right happening right in front of us, in front of ten people at a bar. And you gotta, you gotta like uh, mute your disdain for the young people of today. You know, like every yeah, as I mean, you get older, you start to have that like, man, young people. You know, it's not how it was when I was a young person. And sometimes that'll come across, if not literally in what you're saying, mm-hmm. in the way you're saying it, they can pick up on the fact that you're like, you know, you're like, you guys, like you're talking down to people. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 and yeah, 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 I know what that is. I, I kind of had to check myself on that at some point a while back. Like, like I, I, I got to stop separating myself from the crowd before I've even spoken to them. Yeah, because you're like yeah. a, a blank canvas. Yeah, and it could be anything. It's not fair. And they didn't choose what year they were born anyway. If I was born in the year they were born in, I'd have all the same trappings as a millennial now, you know, like so I can look back and say I'm Generation X and these millennials don't get it, man. But I just, it's not like I get it because I'm smart. I'm just, I am who I am because of the year I was born in terms of generation. If I was born in 94, I'd be doing selfies on Instagram all the time, probably. You know, or at least I'd be more That'd of that guy. be weird seeing Andy Klein selfies. Yeah, right? Oh. I, I'd be more of that dude than, than – I'd be – you know, it's like I can't hate on that person because they don't – they're just who they are because of the world that they grew up in. Right. So I was like, okay, i got to stop with this. Like young people don't get it and all that. There's some, Sometimes there's jokes you can make about – Yeah. Remember when it was like this? Now it's like this. Like that's a standard, you know, comparison joke. But I try not to like look at the crowd. I, in my mind, I'm How thinking, do you feel when you're on stage at the Overachiever show? Do you feel out of place? No, the the first I'll tell you my but the very first one, which was January. No, that was last the first year. one you did. Two thousand, yeah, last year. Yeah, I don't think I I didn't do very well. I didn't like my set. I followed Rollo. The crowd was getting a little tired, and I didn't bring them up. Mm. And the reason is because I had just finished editing my CD, mm-hmm. and I had listened to all my jokes a thousand times, and I didn't have anything new that was ready. Yeah, and I definitely felt like I'm like on stage going, I'm not delivering these right like you know yeah and, and that crowd wasn't to be fair that they got if tired I don't, if i don't remember that sh- that show it wasn't a f- true like it took a while for us to develop the yeah. audience there was like 10 comics the on january it. show you did the ne- yeah. which was the next one was probably the the first real one that, that you was did. the first real one i did and i felt fine on that one and the crowds that you bring like this is the difference between like you know when people talk about these young people and they mm-hmm. don't they're talking about 23 year old white people sure yeah. you know they're talking about Entitled white girl millennials or right. whatever. You're, Basically, your crowd, not not a not a regular stand up audience, yeah. which isn't like they're not into stand up. Your crowd is more mixed, and I think as long as, regardless of age, as long as you have a good mix of black and white and brown, mm-hmm. then I'm fine with whatever age they are. And Asian. Know? And Asian. Don't want to exclude Asians, the Asians. You know, uh, like, we can make fun of them though. Yep. But uh, <laughs> but like I, <laughs> the, like the last one that we just did. Like I, I felt like I felt at home on that show. Oh yeah, and yeah. there might have been a huge age gap, or there, or not. I yeah. don't even know. But I felt like okay, I relate. Mm-hmm. I don't relate very well to a crowd of all of one early twenties white people. Mm. When I was an early twenties white person, I didn't relate to early twenties white people. I didn't mm. relate to people my own age back then. Yeah. And I've never connected with people that group. 
all that well. I can make them laugh. Yeah. And now I know how to like turn off my own prejudice against them. Mm-hmm. But like, I got to check myself. Let me just go up and try to, and usually I can connect with them. If you have, if, uh, if a comic wants to come up to you or like, you know, what advice do you have for young comics right now in DC? And what's the over under on this DC comedy scene imploding? Well, you know, it's interesting. When I first started in 94, like, the people who would talk about the 80s, it was like, oh, the show's every night. You could quit your job and be a feature and feature every weekend and make money and all this stuff. And then that all that boom ended. Right. And um, now I just I – I, the last few years I kept waiting for the bubble to burst, and it hasn't. Yeah, we've been mm. talking about this bubble bursting for a f- yeah. couple years now. And it, there is, like, a boom. It's, it's unpaid. I call it the unpaid comedy boom. Because there's not money, you can't quit your job as a feature and go work every weekend. But you can get on stage constantly. What we have now that wasn't around in that previous boom was there's this whole comedy nerd culture hmm. that exists. There are people who call themselves comedy nerds, and they they go to open mics as many nights a week as I do. They'll say, "I've seen you like four or five times around the city." I'm like, "Really? Like, yeah. why are you going to open mics wow. that much?" That's like the their khaki pants dude at Big Hunt that came yeah. up to me. Yeah. He's just like a Big Hunt like fan. Yeah, you know what I mean, it's just it's cool. It's, it's free. Tight. The shows are free. It's like it's cool to go. And they get to see some dope ass comedy. There's a nothing. lot of talent. Yeah, and so as long as the shows stay good, that's why we try our hardest to weed out the comics who aren't doing that well and give These more time. soft ass motherfucking standing on the wall comics yep. yep you know in the lobby talking loud there's a show going on in there would you want people talking in the lobby when you're on stage they're not telling asian jokes they're soft Jeez. <laughs> 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 These soft ass but uh it's it's like as long as the shows stay good and people care about that it'll be fine it's, yeah no it's, it's gonna be know? fine as long as people keep getting better yeah. We'll be fine. Yeah, that's the thing. The comics need to take responsibility for that. Take responsibility, motherfucking oh. You don't want to be the last group to have a good scene. You'd be like, oh, we killed it? <laughs> yeah. We're the ones that killed it? <laughs> yeah, man. You heard it from Andy Klein. <laughs> don't kill comedy. Don't kill the scene. Don't kill the motherfucking scene. Kill the stage. Ooh, yeah, final go, words one. of this episode. <laughs> kill <laughs> the stage. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you, Andy, for uh, taking this Tuesday night. And apologies to everyone for this episode coming a day late. Man, we had some uh, difficulties with our booking. But uh, appreciate you guys, man, uh, rocking with us. If you rock with us, let your friends know. If you don't rock with us, let the streets know. You're listening to Overachievers. See you guys in the next episode. Peace. Lord, I've really been real stressed. Down and out, losing dress. Although I am black and grass, problems got me pessimistic. Brothers and sisters keep messing up. Why does it have to be so damn tough? I don't know where I can go To let these ghosts out of my skull My grandma passed, my brother's gone I never at once felt so alone I know you're supposed to be my steering wheel Not just my spare tire But Lord, I ask you To be my guiding force and truth For some strange reason it had to be He guided me to Tennessee
I reminisce for a spell, or shall I say think back? 22 years ago to keep it on track. The birth of a child on the 8th of October. A toast, but my granddaddy came sober. Count all the fingers and the toes. Now I suppose you hope the little black boy grows. 18 years younger than my mama. But I really got beaten with the girl of drama. In single parenthood, there I stood. By the time she was 21, had another one. This one's a girl. Let's name a Pam. Same father as the first, but you don't give a damn. Irresponsible, plain not thinking. Papa said chill, but the brother keep winking. Still he rolls down, you would tear out your hide. On your side while the baby make a slide. But mama got wise to the game. The youngest of five kids, hun, here it is. After 10 years without no spouse, mama's getting married in the house. Listen, positive over negative for the woman a master. Mother queens rise in the chapter. Deja vu, tell you what I'm gonna do. When they reminisce over you, my God. Wise, and I begin to listen to the whack teachers in the whack whack system. My mother put me in 
the school is closed. There's nowhere for black youth to go to be taught by brothers and sisters. Who knows what it means to be a black child or a white teen? In the end, the youth are being mistreated, which means the world is being Talk her life was worth something. But when people don't try to improve, it makes me want to hurt some. You want to be somebody and be a standout, but got your hand out. Oh, you're broke? I guess it's all to your man's house. Why is this the giving of the ball? Today it's easy not to pop it, you're too hard. They call us skeezers, and you prove it to the worst. Honey, you have to earn the right to say it's ladies first. Oh, man, this is human education against lies. You better know the flavor, kid. Human education against lies tries to open the eyes of humanity before it dies. Black and white ain't the real fight. Holding back on real education Before you're a color, first you're human Teaching humanity is what we're hey, doing Hey, you smoke a split with a clip But there's still no mountain pie, you know Or wide enough to touch The naughty, nappy, nasty, nigga, the nasty, trashy, whole happy, pappy That's happy to be nappy Me and Ben Rock went spots in flocks And groups and troops with timber boots and jail suits That's how I roll with my hair, do dope When the will I got won't and competition ain't dope Beat your break, your broke, your smoke, your take your senior to your little group on mute Scenario. True blues, Scooby-Doo, what we do Scenarios, radios, rates more than four 
floors, that's mother dance floors. Now I go for mine, shades of sea shore, ship shape plus great eights, the play tapes, tapes make great space for the weight of an Ella, Anita, simply just a leader. Base in the space means peace, see you later. Don't sweat the technique. Don't sweat the technique. As you hear it, pump up the volume, dance with the speaker till you hear it blow. Then plug in a headphone, cause here it go. It's a full letter word when it's heard to control your body to dance. So, dot text the tempo like a red alert. Reach it to reflex and let it work. When this is playing, you can't get stuck with the steps. So, can say, and I'ma still come up with a gift to be swift. Follow the leader, the rhyme will go deaf with the record that was mixed a long time ago. It could be done, but only I could do it. For those that could dance and clap their hands to it. And then I sink into the paper like I was in When I'm writing, I'm trapped in between the line I escape when I finish the rhyme I got some, 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 so, so, so Together for some time And I've been experiencing Some kind of feelings That's changed and rearranged For the better And I hope that you've been Feeling the same way And pray that you ain't running game Hey, just what do you have to say? As I sit here thinking about you Suddenly I feel ashamed You do? And wake up to be greeted by an argument again You act like a 10, so immature I try to concentrate on the cure And keep looking at the front door Thinking if I were to evacuate You'd probably be 
Street straight in the straight and wouldn't have so much hate. Cause you don't know the pain I feel when I see you smiling. And when I roll up, you start wilding. So I front like everything's hunky dory. But it's a whole different story. You don't like the fact that I'm me. I don't put on a show when it comes time for you to have company. And your friends don't understand your choice of man. They speak proper while my speech is from a garbage can. But regardless, you shouldn't have to be so raw. I'm looking at the front door. I'm looking at the front door. Baby, I'm looking at the front door. Hey, you. Myself goes on a subway to catch the X train. The drums go Brooklyn. Plan was a night of intense hooking. We entered the club where we hooked till we dropped. One stop to exit. I spoke of this prop. Talked about how bouncing guns the word bundles on the tip of my fronts when approached this big fat seven foot. I'll teach you to talk to my girl. The hood, southern my geese. I'm expendable, but blocking them was fast. I looked back and fast was headlocking. I was talking about two blocks a minute, and then I thought that voice is something definitely familiar in it. Not long did I cram from the lows, I know it was the 808 man. Come. Singing the crown, you love. 
Listen to 
song.